about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, ain't Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey, this is Anthony from Westchester County, New York, and you're listening to the awesomeness that is Hillbilly Horror Stories. Episode 52 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. We are super excited because this is the month of our one-year anniversary. So we decided we're going to jam-pack all these shows for you. We're going to do a bunch of stuff that you guys have been wanting to hear. And we're going to start off with tonight uh, doing a show that has probably been, I would say, the most requested show. And uh, we've just been putting it off and putting it off. We're going to talk about the Bermuda Triangle. So... Uh, we got a bunch of cool stuff for you, but as usual, I'm uh, joined by Tracy. Hello, everybody. We'd like to start off, obviously, by giving a shout out to all of our military and our civil servants, no matter what country you're in. Thank you for all you do. God bless you guys. And uh, I got to start off uh, before we get into uh, shout outs. The first shout out is going to go to uh, a brand new headphone company. They... Uh, Sent me a message, to be honest with you. I'm always skeptical when I get these. There's always somebody wanting us to plug something, and you just don't know how good the quality is going to be or if it's something that you want to do. And, you know, I talked to them a little bit. They sent me out uh, a set of the headphones. I also asked them to send out an extra set that I could give out to you listeners. So at the end of this month, we are actually going to give out a set of these headphones, and we're going to do it probably in a way where we're just going to put a post on the Facebook page. So that's what everybody needs to do. If you're not a member of our Facebook page, uh, go find Hillbilly Horror Stories on Facebook. Like the page. I'll make a post. We'll just have everybody put their name underneath of it, and we'll probably use a random number generator just to make it fair. And then that way everybody... Can we do that? Yeah. A number generator? Yeah. How we do that? It's just an app on the phone. Oh, that's so cool. I'll make Amber show me. She seems to oh. know all about it. So she, she does, does it like 10 times a day. That's true. Um but we're going to do that. Now, let's talk a little bit about this this um, headphone. It's actually a group out of Sweden, and it's Sudio, S-U-D-I-O, Sweden.com. And what they're going to do for you guys, they, they're Bluetooth. You can either get the, the regular headphones or you can get the earbuds. I'm not an earbud kind of guy, uh, so I like the over-the-ear, and that's what I got. But they're Bluetooth. The ones that I got, 100 bucks, and they're incredible. They are amazing. And they start at, start at 50 bucks for the ear, earbuds, and then they go all the way up to $89 for different earbuds. they got about four or five different kinds, and then you've got the, the most expensive, 99 bucks. So the good thing is they gave us one of those codes. So if you guys actually go to the website and like it, 
if you mention or put in the promo code Hillbilly15, you get 15% off those prices. Nice. So pretty cool. And so, the one other good thing is one size fits all, even Honey Bunny's head. Yeah, I will say that. This is kind of odd, but I have <laughs> I, I have kind of a small head. Who's got to do a small head? From lack of hair and somewhat. <laughs> but most of these headphones that I put on, even the ones we use for the studio, I rarely wear because... Mm-hmm. They shake or they fall off, and they just they just don't fit tight unless I try to put a ball cap on or toboggans or something. They just don't fit good. These actually fit perfect. So. They do. They fit, good. and they're very comfortable. Yeah. So. so anyway, so we'll get into more of that a little bit later, and uh, we'll start telling people more about how they can win. But go look at the website, give them a check out, and see what you got. Uh, Tracy, real quick, is going to do our iTunes shoutouts. Yeah, we had a bunch, and we appreciate every one of them. We have Renee Valerio. Ryan, GSD, Mega Richies, Earth Fox News, Sambo, HDZ, Big Blue Nation 75, Go Cats! Woo! Jail. Yo yo. Mad Mac 1963, Ambeck 22, Marilyn Monroe 0727, Happy Birthday, Mr. President. Oh, I know that was terrible. Okay. okay. You had a perfect opportunity to, <laughs> to do Hillbilly Horror Story since it's our birthday month. I know, but I can't. You you had to, no, I had to go Completely off key. I know it. That's okay. Amy Duh, 22, and Dirk Diggler, 07. Man, we appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for the nice reviews. You guys are awesome. Yeah, and we appreciate it. You know, we mentioned the reviews. We get so many emails and, and, uh, Posts on our Facebook page of people just saying nice things mm-hmm. to the posts on Twitter, which I, I don't even mention those things anymore about the, uh, Twitter. We're on, we're on Twitter, Hillbilly Horror. We're on Instagram under Hillbilly Horror Stories. Uh, you can find us pretty much anywhere. So we appreciate you guys. Yeah, interacting we with love us. all you Twitterers and yeah. Instagrammers and <laughs> all y'all. We love ya. But uh, thank you guys so much. We we love all of it. And uh, like I said, we have a cool show. We're going to do the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have Justin Rimmel from Mysterious Circumstances on. Nice. Uh, what? Let me tell you a little bit about what we've been doing. Some of this, some of these things that we've been doing as far as interviews and stuff. This is going to be different. Justin is going to actually tell you a complete story, just like we're going to tonight. But he's going to tell you the story of Donnie Decker, the Rain Man. Mm-hmm. It was a cool story. I heard it on his show. And rather than do it ourselves, he did such a good job with it. I wanted him to come on and tell. So we do talk about his show for like first five, six, seven minutes. Then he actually uh, tells his story. And it's it's a, a, a lengthy thing. It's about 40 minutes is what yeah. we did. But most of that is him telling a story. Yeah, it's really good. Fascinating story. Then uh, Chris Cogswell of Mad the Mad Scientist. Uh, podcast is actually going to be on the show. We did a little interview with him, but he's going to give us the scientific breakdown right. of what he thought happened, you know, on uh, during this case. Yeah. But then we talk about a couple of other things like ectoplasm and uh, some other cases where there's been some uh, um, mysterious happenings in poltergeist. He's actually got a show they've done on poltergeist, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, I guess I, at this point in time, I need to mention too, since he's also a member. Uh, we kind of were invited to a group uh, that's a pretty prestigious group of podcasters, and it's for, I guess, podcasters that are a little on the paranormal side, true crime, a little darker stuff, but it's Dark Myths um, group, but uh, you can check them out at darkmyths.org, 
and see all the groups that are involved. Uh, Mike Brown from Pleasing Terrors, which most of you listen to, is on there. Like I said, the Mad Scientist. There's oh, yeah, a bunch of great. Astonishing Legends, which yeah. a lot of you know. So it was very good company to be in, and we were very we're honored very that, honored, very that honored. they asked us to be a part of that. So thank you guys for doing that. Yes, thank you. So with that being said, are we ready to jump into this? We, let's jump into the Bermuda Triangle. Let's don't jump into the Bermuda Triangle. Let's do. Triangle. I want to find my scrub. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Bermuda Triangle, obviously, we played the Beach Boys in the beginning because... Vir- it's had Bermuda. Yeah. Virtually every place <laughs> they mentioned is in the Bermuda Triangle. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool, though. Some of these songs we got to really search for. That one just jumped out as an automatic without even trying to think about it. So, Bermuda Triangle. It's anywhere from a half a million to a million mile stretch. Um... It starts at Miami, goes to San Juan, Puerto Rico, and then to Bermuda. Those those three points make up the Bermuda Triangle. Why is it so mysterious? Because 75 planes and hundreds of ships have all went missing since they started keeping record of it. That is the craziest thing ever. Now, the term Bermuda Triangle actually started um, being widely used in 1964. There was an author by the name of Vincent Gaddis. And uh, he was writing for Argosy Magazine, and that's what he termed it. So it was not, you know, there was incidents before then, but nobody called it Bermuda Triangle Uh before he did in 1964. So a little background. From 1946 to 1991, there was over 100 disappearances. Gosh. The first account... (sighs) That on record of, of being any kind of uh, weirdness going on there was from the one and only Christopher Columbus. In 1492, which you'll know that year, he discovered so, America. Yeah. Sell the ocean blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he supposedly discovered America, but, you know, there was people living here, so I don't really know how that goes. Oh, well, that don't work for yeah, me. Yeah, they kind of <clears throat> already knew about it, so it was no shock to them oh, yeah. that there was a landmass here. Uh, but anyway, he was noticing and reported that he was having compass malfunctions, mysterious lights off in a distance. The sea was rougher than it had been in any part of the, of the trip. And, you know, to him, it stood out. This is a guy who did a lot of sailing. So when he was in this area, it was definitely different from him. He said at one point in time, he saw a fireball in the sky, not the liquor. That would have been no. That would not. Somebody would have had to throw. There was a lot of rum out oh. there. Not not really. There would be a lot, have to be a lot of rum for the ocean. Just right. saying. So let's talk about. You know, that's the ba- little bit of background on it. Uh, there's all. You know, they even go back to like the island of Bermuda itself. Mm-hmm. You know, like in the 1600s, people would go by there and they would hear all these weird noises and stuff, and it would sound like uh, screaming and stuff like that. So they they would. Most sailors would try to steer clear of Bermuda because they thought it was uh, um, some type of ghost or creatures or something. In reality, it was like there's a bird that's indigenous to that place that makes this weird noise. And there was some animals. So everything that they were hearing from a distance Mm -hmm. were all coming from just animals and stuff that were part of that uh, that island chain. So I'm probably getting ahead of the story, but... I'm sure you are. I probably am. How... Far out do you have to be to get sucked in? I do not understand that question at all. <laughs> well, how far I mean, out do you have to be I mean, to get you know sucked the... <laughs> in? <laughs> well, I'm thinking like if you fly over it and then you just disappear. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. But like, do you have to be like right over it? 
well, to yeah. disappear, or do yeah, you have to be like kind of moving be, in a little bit? You and have, goes, you have like to be within the triangle, and I don't think there's any scientific knowledge that anybody gets sucked in. Well, you know what I mean, drawn in. Let's just go on with well, the story. Well, I was just curious. We'll just, get to it. Maybe, maybe I'll answer your question somewhere along the line, inadvertently. Okay. So let's talk about some of the cases. We'll talk about a couple, not in real detail, and then we're going to talk about the most famous one in complete detail, which will be Flight 19. Mm -hmm. That's the one that's most familiar, and I think it's the most fascinating. So let's go back a little bit. March 4th, 1918. Somewhere off the the coast of Barbados, the USS Cyclops uh, was on its way to Baltimore. It's a naval ship. It disappeared completely. The captain never sent out a distress call. Nobody aboard uh, answered any of the calls from from hundreds of ships that were in the vicinity trying to reach them. Nobody. It was the Navy's largest loss outside of like wartime. Three hundred and six people disappeared without a trace. That is mind boggling. I mean, uh, you're going to have, and we'll get into details and stuff later. This is just basics of it, but we're going to get into what some of this stuff may be caused from or what's happening. So December 28th, mm. 1948, the Douglas Dakota DC-3 plane, okay, it's a pretty, pretty decent-sized plane, carrying 26 people, called in 20 minutes from the airport, and then nobody ever heard from them again. I mean, it, it shouldn't have been any issue. They called, hey, we're 20 minutes away. That was it. And that was it. That, that was it. That was it. October 1951. The U.S. Navy uh, had a ship, Southern Districts. It disappeared. Four years later, a life preserver was found on the Florida coast. It actually had the name of the ship. That's the only thing that was ever heard from or seen again. Oh. Was that not life preserver four years later? That's crazy. December 26, 1967. This one's kind of a unique case. There was a, a, a boat. No, Ninja, it was not the SS Bark, contrary to your belief. The boat was actually called the Witchcraft. <laughs> I just got what you said. <laughs> the boat was called the Witchcraft, and it was a 23-foot cabin cruiser. So it, was, it wasn't a huge boat, mm-hmm. but it was a nice little yacht, okay? And... It was built to be virtually unsinkable. And I know people say that stuff like about the Titanic and all. Oh, it's unsinkable. This is different, though. This thing had a flotation device that was built into the hull of it. So even if something happened and it took on water, some of it should be sticking out of the water. Mm-hmm. Because because that's just the way it was designed to oh, do. Oh, that's really cool. Right. This thing disappeared with two passengers. <laughs> just disappeared. It only had two passengers on it? Yeah. It was, I mean, it's a yacht. It's just oh, not, a yacht. Well, yeah. I guess that makes sense. So, but what happened was, like I said, it had that flotation device and everything, so it should have been visible. One of the sailors, a guy named Dan Burek, he was a very experienced sailor. He called the Coast Guard. They were only a mile off the Florida coast. It's not very far. You probably could see it from the coast, almost. He said that he, you know, when they, the guys who had taken the call, they said he was calm. He didn't say anything about the boat sinking or anything. They had flares. They had floating seat cushions. They had life jackets. Nothing. They go out to where he was. He's missing, and they were never heard from again. Nothing ever showed up from that boat. Where are all these people going? We'll get to it. We're going to get to it. Or maybe we won't. There's an underground city, and they're down there partying it up. You know, 
you're going to think that sounds stupid, but that actually is one of the... Oh, <laughs> go me. <laughs> but we're not really going to cover that one. Okay. But but since you brought it up, there are a lot of people who claim that Atlantis is actually underneath there and that the island sunk. Because if you go back to Plato... Uh, see, I'm not even reading from notes on this one. This is just all from memory. But Plato actually said Atlantis was a, a, a thriving city. They were so far advanced, but they just disappeared in, in like a day. They just disappeared and it just sank. Or whatever the deal was. Oh. Well, if you go off the course of Bimini, there's actually some stuff underneath there, some rock formations mm-hmm. or something that looks like it's man-made. They call it, I think it's the Bimini Wall is what they call it. But it looks like that it could be the remnants of a city. A lot of people claim that uh, could be Atlantis. Now, Bimini is not really in, it's outside of what the actual Bermuda Triangle is. But uh, we talked about Edgar Casey, our boy from Kentucky that mm-hmm. Justin Rimmel's doing the show on. He actually said back in, like, I think the early 1900s, I can't remember exactly when, that we would find uh, the city of Atlantis in that area, and then we found that thing in Bimini about the same time he said we would find it. Uh, so that that's just kind of funny how all that ties in, because this was, like, years before that ever happened. Oh, wow. So that's kind of cool. But anyway, so we're getting off subject. Sorry, now. that's... That's amazing. That, I like that. But that That's is, some good but, but there, but there are people that say that Atlanta sunk, and they are that all the inhabitants are still alive and thriving, actually undersea. Somehow or another, they're able to do it. I, you know, that's that's just one person, yeah. or you know, some people's thought process. Well, SpongeBob and them, they're doing it. So but yeah, that's that's very scientific for you to uh, hey, compare well, you the know two. What I'm so let's talk about the most famous case, Flight Nineteen. I'm going to get really detailed on this one. I've heard a lot of stuff on Flight 19. I've not heard as many people go into the details that I'm going to discuss because if we're going to do a show that everybody else has done, I want to try to do it a little bit different. Okay. Here we go. December 5th, 1945. This is the case that brought um, the Bermuda Triangle to worldwide attention. Okay. Okay. Uh, there had been stuff happening out there, but nothing to this magnitude. And like I said, we, you know, you had the ship disappear, mm-hmm. but that could have been, uh, anything. That was the naval ship. That was back in the early 1900s, even, you know, 30 years before this or so. But this is the one that made it stand out because of the occurrences, which we're going to get into. So you had five TPM Avenger torpedo bombers. These are very big planes. They left Fort Lauderdale, Florida at 2.10 p.m. on a routine military training exercise. The planes had been checked beforehand. They'd been serviced. There were no issues at all with the plane. Weather was fine. No issues at all there. These planes are so durable, they're nicknamed the Iron, Iron Birds. Just because they're, they're just... They're, 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 withstand everything. Yeah, they're yeah. big bulking, can withstand anything. Flight 19 consisted of 14 men. The flight was led by Lieutenant Charles Taylor. He was 28 years old. Okay. Now, this was supposed to leave. I don't know how you know pertinent this was, but they were supposed to leave at 1.45 p.m., but uh, Lieutenant Taylor was late, and they left at 2.10. I don't know if that has anything to do with mm, any of the occurrences. It might but, have. So what happened? The exercise, and this is kind of ironic, the exercise was called Navigation Problem 1. So uh, it was a combination of bombing, and navigation. Other flights had completed the, the um, exercise earlier in the day, so it's not like this was something new. It had three legs. The first one is they were going to go to Hen and Check Shoals. That's the actually name of an, of an island. They were going to drop some bombs at, at Shoals. 
Then they were going to head 80, turn and go eight or go 87 miles. Then they were going to turn and go another 87 miles and then turn again and head back to Fort Lauderdale about 137 miles. So drop some bombs, go 87 miles, turn, go 87, turn, go 137 back home. Mm-hmm. Should have been simple. At three o'clock, they successfully dropped the bombs at Hen and Chicken Shoals. So that part, that part's good. They start going to 87 miles. They make their turn. So we're good now on, the, on that part of it. 40 minutes later, one of the pilots uh, asked for a compass reading. Now, they're able to hear all this stuff over the radio is how yeah. they know this stuff. Captain Powers, who's another one of the, the guys there on the, in the mission, he says that he doesn't know where they are, and they must have gotten lost after that last turn. Now, the radio transmission is heard by Lieutenant Robert Cox at the base, who is preparing students to get ready to do that same mission. Mm-hmm. So he's just kind of listening, and he happens to hear this. He sends a radio message out to Captain Powers to please identify himself so someone could help them. At this point, a member of Flight 19 asked Lieutenant Cox for suggestions. Now, Lieutenant Taylor, who's leading the mission, makes contact with Lieutenant Cox, okay? Remember, Lieutenant Cox is at the mm-hmm. base. Cox asks what the trouble is. Taylor says that both compasses are out, and he's trying to figure, trying to find Fort Lauderdale. He says that he, he sees a bunch of small islands, and he's sure that he's over the Florida Keys, but not sure how far down, and he doesn't really know how to get to Fort, Fort Lauderdale from that point. He knows the area really well. This is where all this is so surprising. He knows this area like the back of his hand. Yeah. Okay. Now, the Florida Keys, for those of you who are outside of uh, the United States and not exactly sure, it's right at the very bottom of Florida. At the very southern tip, there's a set of islands, small islands off of there. That's the Florida Keys. Now, Cox advises Taylor at this point in time to put the sun on his port wing and fly north. So all he's got to do is locate the sun, and then he should be able to to go north and be able to find where we're going to. The base asked Taylor at this point if his plane is equipped with a standard YG or a IA transmitter. I have no clue what any of those are. But it's it's some type of a GPS device. It's so they can Mm -hmm. track the plane. This would allow the base to be able to pinpoint them exactly where they are. So that's that's all it is, so they can be able to get picked up on uh, on like a radar type situation. Taylor doesn't answer. At 4.45, Lieutenant Taylor makes another transmission. He says, we're heading 0, 030 degrees for 45 minutes. Then, then we will fly north uh, to make sure that we're not uh, in the Gulf of Mexico. The base couldn't pinpoint uh, where they were. So they talk to Taylor, and they tell they call him to instruct a Taylor to go to uh, 485 KHZ. It's actually 4805 KHZ. That's a radio uh, frequency. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't respond again. At this point in time, he's instructed to go to 3000 KHZ, which is the search and rescue frequency. So they're at this point, they're already concerned yeah. and starting to make make plans. Taylor radios back that he cannot switch frequencies, he must keep the plane intact. So I don't I don't know what switching frequencies would do, oh, but yeah, that's what that's... he said. At 4.56 p.m., they ask again for him to locate and activate the YG transmitter if he has one. 
He doesn't respond again. He later orders the flight to change course, talking about uh, Taylor. An unknown voice is heard saying, Damn it, if we could just fly west, we could get home. Fly west, damn it. Now, this is where it starts to get bad because now the radio transmissions are becoming less and less frequent mm-hmm. and they're starting to get a little uh, staticky, so they're having trouble making communication. Taylor radios that they will fly 270 degrees west until landfall or until they're running out of gas. Uh oh. That's never going to be a good thing. No. At 5.50 p.m., radar is able to pick up their position, and they're just north of the Bahamas. That's pretty important, wouldn't you guess? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Nobody passed that information along. It was after the fact that they found this out. What? Yeah, so nobody shared that information. Hey, we found this plane, and this is where they're at. Mm. I don't know the situation behind it. I don't know if the people who found it just didn't know that this plane was lost and somebody was i don't know mm-hmm. or but keep in mind these were five planes this wasn't one plane yeah. this was five planes all flying together taylor says that he's holding at 270 degrees west he's gonna fly or he he don't think that they flew enough uh far enough east so he's he said they might as well just turn around and fly back east again okay wait yeah, he's completely lost at this point. And almost out of gas. And he's almost out of gas. Now it's past 6 o'clock, 6 p.m. The sun has set, so it's dark, and the weather's starting to get a little bit worse. At 6 p.m., Lieutenant Taylor makes one last message. He tells all planes to close up tight. We have to ditch unless we find landfall. When the first plane drops below 10 gallons, we all go down together. This is taught to them in the military because it's a whole lot easier to find five planes all in the same area Mm -hmm. if you're looking from above than it would be to find five different planes everywhere. Yeah. So that's that's the plan. Of course. Sometime later, the planes must have ditched in the Atlantic Ocean. Because they weren't going to have any gas and nothing was ever heard from them again. They sent out another Martin uh, PBM-5 Mariner to search. Uh, It's another plane similar to what they had. It disappeared. (laughs) No wonder nobody wants to go look for anybody because they know they're going to disappear too, probably. There were 13 people on that plane. As of this point, 27 people were lost. Now... There are reports that there was an explosion, and they seem to think that that plane that went out, that last one that went out, somehow know that there was a mid-air explosion, and that's what happened to that one. Oh. But they have not confirmed that. Some of nineteen Flight 19's crew were aware they were lost, and they wanted to fly west, but due to military discipline, they just pretty much followed orders, even though they knew they were going the wrong direction. It was they did not want to break code and break the break military order, and they were just being led basically into failure and just was going to deal with it. Well, that sucks. The Navy initially blamed Lieutenant Taylor. Taylor's mom threw a big fit. She accused the Navy of unfairly blaming her son because they didn't have any evidence. Yeah, they didn't have any planes. They didn't have any they bodies. Have yeah. So what would they have to go by? Right. Um, the Navy lists this as a, an unknown situation. Matter of fact. 
on the actual report, the official report, they, the Navy says we are not even able to make a good guess as to what happened. Oh. But they still blamed him, even though they couldn't make a good guess. Always blaming somebody else. And that is the infamous story of Flight 19. So you got five planes, experienced pilot, knows the area well. Mm-hmm. Something has been done several times, and five planes just disappear. In contact, can't find out what's going on, can't locate where they're at, completely lost out in sea. To the point where they just, I mean, all those different places where they probably could have found a land didn't happen. Total confusion. Uh, just everybody was lost, in, not just mentally and physically, as to what to do. That's sad. So we've discussed the most infamous and a couple other things. And there's hundreds of more cases of things that just disappear. Now the question is, what's happening to these things? And there's several different theories, and we're going to cover some of them. Now, first and foremost, I listened to a story, and this had been years ago, like 50 years ago. There was a plane that was carrying two guys. I don't remember where they were coming from, but they were flying to Florida because their father had passed away. 19 years old each, they were twins. And they were flying home for their dad's funeral. It was a smaller plane, like a private plane. And the sometime over the midst of that, the uh, pilot starts talking about that these compasses aren't working, that they're wrong. It says it's, he's going one direction, but that's not the direction he's going. And he gets scared, and he, he ended up panicking so much the co-pilot had to take over for him. Oh. They ended up making it. But it basically scared everybody. Mm-hmm. Now, when they talked to a flight instructor, experienced flight instructor, and he talked about vertigo. He says, when you get up sometimes, and he says, unfortunately, this happens more often, oh, I, I bet it more does. often than people want to admit Yeah, that you'll get in the air. You've got your compass telling you something, but mentally you're thinking something else. Mm-hmm. So you talk yourself into believing that your compass is wrong and you veer off course and go a different way trying to overcompensate when in reality your compass okay, is right. Well, that's scary. Yeah, and that's why he said it happens more than what pilots want to. So that could be one reason. Vertigo is one of the reasons they think that some of these Mm -hmm. things have happened. Obviously, there is some things that can play into that. The Bermuda Triangle is an area where true north and magnetic north come into contact with each other. So it can mess with compasses and stuff on occasion. So that's one of the things. One of the other theories is there's nothing weird going on at all, that it's just a very dangerous area. You've got hurricanes that pop up in a second. You've got, you know, water spouts, which are basically water tornadoes that come up. I mean, if you've got a water tornado and you fly into it, you're going to disappear. If you've got uh, one of those that come up, especially at nighttime, and you're a boat and you're going across there and you can't get out of the way, you're going to disappear. What? But you, I don't see how you can just disappear completely. Okay, because let's say that you're a boat and you're going along and one of these things hits you. And it's so sudden, you don't have time to call anybody. It just happens. I mean, I can maybe understand a boat, but not a dang airplane. But if you're flying and you have a storm or something pop up and you go down, any of these things, the ocean is so deep in some of these areas. So deep that... 
you know, if something does sink, it could go all the way to the bottom and never be found. Think about this. This is a up to a million square miles of area. Could you imagine how long it would try to take to search that? And if it was well, all yeah. at the bottom? So that's what a lot of people seem to like, think that, well, that's happening. I guess that. Yeah, I can see that now. That's. And, um, hmm. There's a couple other scenarios. You know, some people say that, that there's no evidence at all that there's any more disappearances in this area than any other area. It's just everybody focuses on this area. So, you know, that, that it's, it's no more dangerous than anywhere else. As a matter of fact, it's not even in the top 10 of most dangerous stretches really? of oceans. If you actually look at the data. How about that? <laughs> oh, wow. I'd like to learn more about that. One of the other things is, uh, is during the storms because of the magnetic north and uh, the true magnetic and the, mm-hmm. and uh, what was the other one? was a true north and magnetic north sorry yeah that's okay there's ball lightning which doesn't appear everywhere but it, it does appear there and that could be some of the like christopher columbus that saw the strange yeah, the, lights and yeah. stuff like that that could explain some of that some people claim that it's a gateway to another dimension that they it's time travel is possible they're kind of like a black hole type situation that'd be cool it would be cool and we're going to actually talk about that because there is a famous story, the second probably most famous story, uh, in a few minutes about another big travel. hole. Yeah, more or less. First, I want to cover a couple of these other things real quick. Um, we cover the vertigo. There's also methane gas builds up on the bottom of the ocean floor. And what happens sometimes, and this is a proven fact, that there'll be a little crack forms and all this gas gets released. It causes all these bubbles that rush to the surface. Now, what happens when all these bubbles rush to the surface, it takes all the density out of the water. So things, even like a ball that has air, air in it that shouldn't should float all the time, when the density around it dissipates, it sinks. So if a boat happens to be going by and you have one of these giant methane things at the bottom and all this air comes up, it can sink a ship. Well, aren't you just smart? No, I just read it. I don't know nothing about it. Alien abductions. <laughs> There's a lot of people that think that these planes and stuff that disappear are alien abductions. I wouldn't mind believing that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's the deal or not because I always like the, you know, anal probe stuff. Well, I know how you are about that. Anyways, um, this is actually is really new. This is like within the last eight months. A lot of scientists seem to think they think they know the answer to a lot of the disappearances and stuff. You know, it's been a while since we did that anal probe thing. We've never done the anal probe thing. <laughs> never, 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 never. Anyways, October in 2016... There was a study done, and it was on hexagonal-shaped clouds. They go about 20 to 50 miles long. They have very high winds, and they can call what they say are air bombs. What this is, is where you have these microbursts mm-hmm. form out there in the ocean. They can form in a, a very short time. 
And these things, will, the wind can go to 100 miles an hour, and it goes straight down. Oh. So unlike regular wind, that's this can go straight down. And if a plane was flying underneath and this happened, it could blow a plane right out of the sky. It could sink a ship. It makes very high waves. And that right there could be the biggest problem. Wow. I'd like to see that from yeah, afar. I'm sure you probably would. <laughs> but it could capsize ships. Oh, it could yeah. do anything. So that could be one of the one of the things. But let's get back to the time travel travel thing. There are lots of planes that I don't know if any situation with the boats, but there's a lot of flights that go through the Bermuda Triangle that make it to their destination quicker than they should. The the flight's just a whole lot faster than what it should by normal flights. There's a story we're going to talk about a guy by the name of Bruce Gernon. He was a flight instructor and 1970 in about the same area as Flight 19 was at. He had two passengers and he was flying from the Bahamas to Palm Beach, Florida. They left at 3.10 p.m. There was a little bit of a light mist. Then it started to get really bad. Okay, the weather started getting really bad. He was 100 miles from Miami. A really bad thunderstorm came up on him. He decides he's going to try to go around the thunderstorm, Mm -hmm. but instead he basically flies right into it and the clouds engulf the plane. As he's going through it, he sees a gap that looks kind of like a tunnel. So he decides he's going to go into the tunnel. He goes in full power, aims right towards it. As he goes in, he says weird stuff started happening. Color changes. He says inside the tunnel, the world, or the wind starts swirling. So now it's like going around and around and around the plane. The circles, it's almost like he's... Like inside a tornado? Yeah, something like that. He says that he was only in there like 10 seconds, but it felt like zero gravity while he was in there. He said he was floating and he could feel like he was slipping forward. Now the plane becomes trapped in this thing. He says they the tunnel was about 10 miles long and it should have taken him three minutes to go through the whole thing. Instead, he got through it in like 20 seconds. Slingshotting him out. So Miami Flight Control, they couldn't find the plane the whole time he was in the tunnel. But he comes out of the tunnel, it's blue skies, and then it turns to a fuzzy yellow-gray. He comes out of that, he's picked up by radar again, and now suddenly he's right over top of Miami Beach. (laughs) <laughs> he went a hundred miles in three minutes. Get out. They said, boy. But it's not, it wasn't possible. He he would have had to have been going, you know, like a thousand miles an hour. Oh, yeah. Literally a thousand miles an hour to be able to go that far in three minutes. Wow. And he said his plane was only capable of doing like 200 miles an hour at top speed. But this trip ended up taking him like 45 minutes less than it should have. And he had made that trip several times. He knew exactly how long it took. But he never went through the tunnel before, though, right? No, but what he's saying is somehow somehow that tunnel or whatever it was he Mm -hmm. went through was something that was a time lapse, like a time warp, and 
So three minutes ended up being what should have been 45 or 50 minutes. Man, it's sort of like the Jetsons. Yeah. Once again, another good uh, scientific observation. No, I'm just saying that would be cool that you could just, if you could really do that, just kind of get from (laughs) here to there just like that. That would be awesome. That would be a good thing. That. If it was safe. That wraps up the Bermuda Triangle. Now, I was going to do some more. Um, I thought this was kind of cool. There's another Bermuda Triangle, technically, called the Devil Seas. It's off the coast of Japan. It's on the same, I think, I can't remember. I think it's the same longitude as the uh, uh, Devil's or Bermuda Triangle. Mm-hmm. But it's just in a different part, but it's along that same thing. So, I, But it's treacherous, too. There's all kinds of missing stuff there. And okay, I was, there I was, is. I was going to do both of it, but it was kind of too close to the same. Yeah. Uh, but that stretch is actually is in the top ten of the most dangerous. That, the, the one in Japan? Yeah, is? the one in Japan. The they, they, they call it the Devil Seas. And uh, it's it's pretty, it was a pretty some pretty cool stories, a lot of really? stuff in there. Um, but, yeah, that's... Uh, It'd be kind of cool just to fly over it or something, just to see if we disappear. We did fly over. Oh, we, we did. Went, we went to the Virgin Islands we and back. We did. Yeah, we were right. We in the, survived. We were in the heart of the Bermuda Triangle. Well, I'm glad you didn't tell me that because I would have freaked out. Well, hundreds of hundreds of planes and boats and stuff go through there every single day without any occurrences. Oh man. Yeah. So, I'm glad I didn't know that. Yeah. So that's our story on the Bermuda Triangle. Still a lot to go on this show. Remember to check out the the headphone place, Studio. Su Su Studio. You know, uh. it's funny when I first saw that uh, the name of the place. That was the first thing that came to my mind is that stupid Phil Collins song. And when I opened up the box for the headphones, inside it it says that's where they got the name from. Oh, you just said stupid. I, what is stupid? That don't mean nothing. The name's not stupid. Their name's not stupid, but the song's stupid. You just stupid. don't like the song. I don't like the song. But supposedly the story is that um, one of the guys that's a creator or something like that, he was, Phil Collins was in the studio and he was in the Stu Stu studio and uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was having problems with his headphone and the guy kind of looked at him and he's like, yeah, I, I get you. Yeah, it's a, it's a pain in the neck. And then that uh, kind of led to them creating these headphones and then because they were inspired by Phil Collins, they named it Studio. Oh, that was nice. And they're actually in Sweden. So, once again, we're going to be giving away a set of these. Uh, they're the $79 pair of earbuds. And uh, I can't remember what they're called. What are they called? Earbuddios. No, they're called <laughs> I don't know. Flasas, or I should probably know that, and they're probably going to get mad that I don't know. But when you go to the website, you will be able to see it. It's a $79 set of headbuds. But you'll like them. They're pretty cool. And we're going to be talking about them next week and a week after that and a week after that. And so, hopefully by then he'll know what he's yeah, talking about. Yeah, I'll, I'll know that. But they're not the one I use. I, the one I use is the Regent. That's the, uh, the, the they have them available in black and white and they're pretty damn cool. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's what you said. All right. So what we're going to do now is we're going to have, uh, uh, and don't forget, if you go look at the Hillbilly 15 for the headphones and that gets you 15% off. That's great. Yeah. Don't buy them damn headphones without putting our code in there because this makes us look good. That's all I'm saying. Hey, 15%. Yeah, it saves you 15% anyway. Anyways, so what we're going to do now is we're going to bring on Justin Rimmel. Uh, I think you guys are going to get a kick out of him. A lot of people compare us as far as our storytelling. So he's uh, just, you know, got a little bit different voice than I've got. But Mm -hmm. more or less, he tells a story very similar to the way we do a lot of details. This story about Donnie Decker, I think you're going to find fascinating. 
if you're one of these people who listen or don't listen to the interviews and skip forward, this is not an interview. It is for the first couple of minutes. He's actually telling a story much like when we had uh, Andrea Whitney on. Uh, by the way, while we're on Andrea Whitney, she is finishing up our story that she's doing for the Jasper newspaper. Really cool. I can't remember the name of that paper either. I should probably know some facts Jeff, before I just start. What is wrong with you tonight? Well, I don't write some. I didn't plan on talking about it, so I didn't write it down. You're really off your game. It's like the Jasper Gazette or something. Whatever they name newspapers, <laughs> Jasper Post. Anyway, she's writing the article. She got all of our information. and She's putting it together. Probably come out this week, and when it does, we'll share that online. Yeah, she's a sweetheart. Yep. And uh, but she came on and told a story a while back. I might have her on again. And uh, but that's kind of what Justin's going to be doing. Also, toppodcast.com did a uh, listed us as uh, one of their featured podcasts this week we appreciate that did an interview Mm -hmm. with us so you can go to toppodcast.com or if you go to our facebook page which you need to do anyways uh it's on bossy yeah well you know he's he's being a bossy heifer today i don't know what his deal is anyway here's justin we had some fun with this interview we uh we laughed and cut up and had some fun with it so i think (laughs) you'll enjoy this All right, we're ready to have some fun with this episode because I'm joined by a friend of mine who uh, has a damn killer podcast that I have recently become addicted to, Mr. Justin Rimmel from, do you want to tell him what the name of the podcast is or do you want me to? Oh, it don't matter. You can if you want. No, nah, go ahead. It's yours. What the hell? All right. <laughs> uh, I uh, fly solo on Mysterious Circumstances, and I uh, co-host American Crime Cast with Shane Waters. You know, it's funny, because Mysterious Circumstances, it it is awesome. A lot of people can compare us, I've seen in the podcast groups, because yes. we do kind of do a similar job of the way we tell a story and the research and what have yep. you. Uh, you're 10 times better looking than I am. So luckily this is over <laughs> audio usually. So I, I can keep those comparisons going. Um, I got to be honest with you. I was first drawn to your podcast by mistake. I thought it was yeah. uh, mysterious circumcisions. And I thought that, I thought that was very interesting. I'm like, well, hell, this has got to be something that's captivating. And then yeah, I misread it, but what the hell, whatever it takes to get somebody listening, right? Pretty much, dude. That's in all honesty, most people find it by mistake. They're like, Yeah, I just stumbled upon this and like I've binged, you know, and it's like where the hell you been? I've been around for a year, but with me what hurts is uh I'm more of an indie pirate style radio podcast. I uh Mysterious Circumstances is not scripted. Uh for this for the episode that we were going to do, I literally have um, a page and a half of notes for it ended up being an hour and a half long episode. I usually have a pretty good memory, so uh, I just kind of just kind of freestyle it. So you've had the so, show. It, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've uh, you had your year anniversary back in April. Is that is that about right? Yes, it is. Okay, cool. So you've you've got a lot of shows under your belt, and like I said, you you also co-host the other the American Crime Cast show. So you you've got a lot of uh, podcast experience. Tell us a little bit about what you've learned uh, above all about yourself doing this. What have, what do you get out of this the most? Um, for me, it started off being I don't want to say out of spite. But it started off with me wanting to present the listener with more facts than I was getting from other podcasts. Um, I was listening to other podcasts, and 
they weren't giving me enough information on, say, like an unsolved murder or disappearance to where I could actually formulate, you know, a good theory or, you know, something, something of that nature. And, you know, I would look into the case and I'm like, well, if they would have told me this, you know, this probably would have changed my opinion. And I've always loved like um, mysteries, anything unsolved, whether it's murders or disappearances, lost colonies, you know, paranormal. I grew up in a haunted house, man. So like paranormal, honestly, I look back and I'm like, I wish I would have done a paranormal podcast. But it's fun because mysterious circumstances, we get into everything that's mysterious. But along the way, um, doing some of the cases that I've done, um, I've come to learn that I concentrate on a lot of lesser known stuff and not only is it fun, but you know, I do a lot of cases that are really, really sad and, and I've come to the realization that everybody's story deserves to be told. And here in the last couple months, I've really, really concentrated on that. Um, just getting their story out there in the best form possible, um, you know, that's for me personally, that's that's a lot of what I've learned, I guess, is just how to tell the story and still give the listener enough detailed information to where, you know, maybe one day one of these cases will get solved. You know, if if I can help do that, that would be great, because, you know, once once you're forgotten, it's like you never existed at all, man. You know, and that's um, the show Up and Vanished. I think uh, um, that guy, he probably, by starting that podcast, he it looks like they probably got somebody in custody now that they think mm-hmm. may have actually been the killer of, of uh, well, I can't remember if her name was Tara. Or, it's been a while since I listened to the show, but I mean, you know, that actually accomplished something, it, it looks yeah. like. Now, I still don't know where Richard Simmons is, so that podcast did shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I heard Richard Simmons actually came out of hiding over that one. He's like, I'm alive. I'm fine. You know? it's, it's so funny, though. Now, I like that you do these lesser-known um, stories because there's so many, especially with the true crime, that's a genre that's just overloaded because people can't seem to get enough of that stuff. So, and do in that that fact right there when I started last April there was probably only 75 to 100 you know podcasts that you could put into the true crime genre and as of I think last week I think they just tipped over 300 and that's just in the last year so that's why I originally had quit mysterious circumstances um for a couple months and when I joined American Crime Cast and I got um uh Blog Talk Radio Network wanted me to bring it back and you know we had to you know we had to work out some some fine details and when I came back this was the very first case that I chose to come back with because I wanted to remind everybody that I am not just a true crime podcast. I am an anything mysterious podcast and I love it. Well, if you, if you're ever looking for a case that is very unwell known, um, Tracy lost one of her scrub tops a couple of months ago and it's never <laughs> turned up. And, and I, I've looked everywhere. I kept meticulous details they're all written in a journal and if you ever want those i'll turn them over to you and you can use that on your show 
I would appreciate that because I was just getting ready to do an episode on my fucking car keys <laughs> that I haven't been able to find. And it's my spare key, and I really need it. So we could do like a double episode on that. Then we can maybe would be really satisfying. Maybe throw in the missing socks that come out of the washer when you put both damn what come out. I'm telling you, man. That I don't know where they go. I really don't, man. It's it's starting to get a little ridiculous, man. I spent a small fortune on socks, man. So let's get into the story. Why I brought you on the 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 long and short of it is the reason that you're on here tonight. Is I was listening to your show. You did do a, a semi paranormal uh, show on this one, and I thought it was completely fascinating. And when I talked to you about it, you was like, "Hey, you should do a show on it." And, and my exact take on it was, "Look, you've already done the show. It was fantastic. There's no way I could outdo it. I'd rather just have you come on the show and basically do a um, a condensed version of it because I think yep. our listeners are going to absolutely love it." And to be honest with you, it's a pretty famous story, but I was completely unaware of it. I don't know how this slipped past me, but when I heard it, I was I was just completely captivated by it. So you're going to tell us the story of, as you had titled it on your show, The Rain Man, which is awesome because I love Dustin Hoffman. Uh, I'm excited <laughs> about doesn't? this. <laughs> but obviously, this is a different Rain Man. I'm just going to turn it over to you, Justin. Uh Tell these listeners about the, the Rain Man, uh, was his name, Donnie uh, Decker. Donnie Decker, yep. Um, pretty much the whole basis, just the intro for it, is uh, back in 1983 in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, a uh, young guy at the age of 21 named Donnie Decker, um, who was actually serving in jail at the time, got furloughed for his grandfather's funeral for, uh, I think it was five to seven days he was out. And while he was out, a lot of strange occurrences happened, and that includes a possession of him. And while he was staying at a family friend's house, uh, it starts pretty much raining indoors. And this is after he has a paranormal experience uh, inside the house. And this was within 24 hours of him getting out of jail. He has a paranormal experience, and uh, a lot of weird stuff starts happening. It basically starts raining inside a a house, and it wasn't so much a water. Um, it wasn't so much a water. It was more, they said it was real tacky and real sticky liquid, uh, but it started seeping out of the walls, and, it, and at a few points, it starts raining from the floor, to the ceiling it starts raining upward um now you know before we get into like some of the details and stuff um this follows him it they wanted him to leave the house when police actually came to investigate um it follows him to the pizza shop that he had gone to to just to get out of the house as soon as he walks in the door he's there about 10 minutes it starts raining in there uh he goes to leave there they ended up performing a couple small makeshift exorcisms. And uh, even after that, when he goes back to jail after his furlough is over, um, it starts raining in his jail cell. So they ended up performing another, another exorcism in the jail. And the most interesting parts of this case is, is there's no real way to debunk it. Um, I've heard a couple theories on debunking it, but they're not too much even real theories. 
because there's no scientific aspect of it. It's basically opinions and people being mad because there's no video evidence of it. There are pictures. There are pictures of it um, on the Internet. Um, but, I mean, it's the the story in itself is, is seriously captivating, and it's been on a couple of paranormal TV shows. Donnie Decker himself is still alive. He still does interviews for TV and stuff like that. Uh, the police officers involved, there's over half a dozen uniformed police officers that will swear this is what they saw. And, uh, even, a, even a warden, the warden of the, uh, the jail that he was in, um, was a witness to this. And he still to this day is extremely freaked out by it. Um, yeah, it's, now, you know, the whole story in itself is just is is strictly amazing. But now that's a that's a good synopsis of what happened. But mm-hmm. I've got very demanding listeners. They like details. So let's start at the beginning. OK, he, let's he, do this. He got out to go to his grandfather's funeral. Yeah. Start me a little bit about there because him and his grandfather definitely had some differences. They they definitely have had a lot of differences. When he got furloughed out of jail, it was because of his grandfather's funeral. Now, what happens is he goes to the funeral, and at first when he gets out of jail, he needs a place to stay because his mother wanted absolutely nothing to do with him. I really couldn't find anything on his father. Uh, he ends up staying with some family friends, which are the Kiefers. Uh, they are named Bob and Jeannie. They took him in because they had been longtime family friends, and they're like, "Donnie, just stay with us. We know, you know, you're having a long time, you know, a hard time." Uh, and he goes, ends up going to his grandfather's funeral. Now, from what we know, him and his grandfather had a lot of problems. He had been abused by his grandfather from the age of seven. Up until his teen years, um, the level of abuse we do not know. But, you know, as we know, if you've looked into a lot of poltergeist cases, sometimes the underlying, um, you know, mental things can play a pa- big factor on, on poltergeist cases. But he goes to the funeral, and what happens is he literally has so much hate for his grandfather. He wanted to go to the funeral just to make sure he was dead. That's how much hate that he had for this man, for what he did to him growing up. So he gets to the funeral, and what happens is he starts hearing all these people say all these great things about his grandfather and how you know great of a person he was. But Donnie didn't know him that way. Donnie just had so much hate, and it just built up inside of him when he was hearing all these people say all these great things. So he ends up storming out of the funeral, um, not really making a huge scene or anything like that, but he's just very emotional. And later that night, he's at the Kiefer's house, and they're having some dinner. And, and uh, even Bob Kiefer knew that there was a lot of uh, tension between him and his grandfather, and he would never really ask him about it because it was very personal for Donnie. But he knew that they did not, that he did not like this man. And what happens is, um, at one point in time, right before dinner, Donnie Decker uh, goes to the upstairs bathroom to wash up. And while he's up there, he has 
somewhat of what he described almost like a panic attack. He starts getting very, very anxious, and his heart starts racing, and he starts sweating. And at this point in time, he's kind of he kind of stumbles over a little bit, and while he's getting up, he looks out the bathroom window, and he sees this face. Now, what he s- says he sees is a face of what he described as just a devilish face wearing a crown. Uh, which is very, very intriguing because it's very specific. Now, while he's seeing this, he he kind of sees or he kind of feels like something on his arm. And he looks down on his, his right arm and there's three scratches going about from the halfway point from his elbow to his wrist down to his wrist in that direction. And for those of you who are into the paranormal, you know that three is a very important number. So that, you know, that pretty much, you know, freaked him out. He didn't know what was going on. Now, everything kind of subsided while he was up there. You know, he, you know, had a light freak out or whatever you want to call it. So he goes back downstairs for dinner. Uh, as he's e- eating dinner, he goes to reach for one of the plates of food, and and Bob Kiefer's was sitting across of him or across from him, and Bob notices after he comes down that he's very pale and just kind of out of it. He doesn't really know how to explain it or anything like that. And what happens is he goes to reach for a plate of food, and he sees a little bit of the scratches on Donnie, and he asks Donnie what happened, and and Don's like. I, he's like, I don't know. He's like, I don't know what happened. And Bob was thinking that he did it to himself. And, uh, you know, which was not the case, according to Donnie. Now, after dinner, you know, there, you know, Bob was kind of concerned for him at this point. He knows he'd had a long day and there was a lot of stuff going on, uh, inside of Donnie at this point in time, emotionally, emotionally speaking. So when dinner is over, goes to sit in the living room uh, and he's sitting on the couch and he's watching TV. Now, as Bob and Jeannie Kiefer describe it, um, everything in the house starts getting very, very cold. And they're, they're, you know, they're kind of looking around, seeing what's going on. Uh, and they look at Donnie and Donnie seems to be staring straight ahead in a trance-like state, they try to get his attention. They're like, you know, hey, you know, what's going on, Donnie? What's going on? And Donnie is non-responsive. He's not responding at all. He's just staring just straight dead ahead. Now, as they're doing this, Bob Kiefer notices that there is a liquid seeping from one of the walls uh, right there. I believe it was either the kitchen or the living room. He, uh, you know, he goes to feel it and he notices that it's real tacky and it's real sticky. And he says it, but it looks just like water. It's a clear liquid substance, but he can't really put his, put his, you know, fingers on it, what it actually is. And at about this point in time, it slowly starts dripping from the ceiling, whatever this liquid is. Now they're still trying to get Donnie's attention. They really don't know. The, that he's the cause of it or anything like that, 
but they're trying to get his attention to, you know, get him out of the room, maybe try to have him help or whatever. But Donnie is still in this trance-like state, just staring straight ahead, um, you know, right there on the couch, TV's on. He has not a care in the world, man, because he's out of it. Now, at about this point in time, after after a moment of it dripping from the ceiling, it literally starts raining. And they're looking around, and Bob Kiefer states that he knows that there's no water pipes on that entire side of the house. The only water pipes running are to the kitchen, which was on the other side of the house, and... Uh, one of the upstairs bathroom and then the downstairs bathroom and those are totally on the opposite end of the house so he's taking the logical approach he thinks that you know it might be a problem with the plumbing or whatever you know whatever that might be so he calls up his landlord and uh his landlord is a guy named ron van Wy, uh and his wife romaine and he calls them up and he asks them to come over now ron is like you know it's you know it's a little bit late at night what's the problem and bob Kiefer's like you honestly wouldn't believe me if i told you you need to come over here because there's there's something wrong possibly with the plumbing so ron van Wy and his wife romaine show up and at that point in time they walk in and it's it's raining from you know from from the ceiling there's there's water um starting seep starting to seep out of the floor it's still seeping out of the walls at this point so ron and bob decide to check out the upstairs bathroom where donnie had had his incident and they go up there because obviously that's the closest place with plumbing to where they are specifically at in the house and ron even says when he shows up he's like i knew that there was no piping no water piping whatsoever on this end of the house so he's wondering what in the hell's going on too so they decide to go upstairs and investigate and they also stated that before they got to the bathroom, you can see the bathroom from the bottom of the steps. If you're looking straight up the steps, you can see the entrance to the bathroom. And they both had stated openly on several different occasions and in interviews and in written statements that they just, as soon as they were getting halfway up the stairs, they said they both felt very cold and very uneasy. And they get up to the bathroom, and the, that feeling just intensified when they got in there. So they do a little bit of investigation in the bathroom, and there's no piping whatsoever that is even leaking a drop of water. So they go back downstairs, and Don is still in a trance state, sitting on the couch. And at this point, Ron starts seeing... Um, everything literally not even seeping through from the floor. He sees rain coming from the floor to the ceiling, falling upward. And at this point in time, they have no idea what to do. They have, you know, they've checked for the water piping, and this is to the point where it's unbelievable. So they take the most 
logical step they can next, and that's they call the the police department. You know, now you, the, you, you say that? you say that's the most logical step. I think if it's raining in my house, I don't know how much the police are going to be able to do. I, I would probably and, maybe call a meteorologist or I would a call, plumber. Yeah, I would call something. <laughs> I mean, you know, put you know, put some sponges around or something. Pick that shit up a little bit. You know, it's like go get the window, go, go lay some towels down, babe. So they call the they call the police, and they, he gets lucky enough to get somebody that he actually knows uh, on the yes. phone. So, and what happens from that point? Um, officer John Bojan, uh, is the one who receives the call. He shows up, uh, and him and, uh, he brings, uh, another uniformed officer with him, which is a guy by the name of Richard Wolbert. Those two show up and they knew Bob. Uh, Bob was a pretty decent guy in the community. It's a very small town. Everybody knew everybody. And, you know, he knew that when he got this call, you know, something was something was going on because he really wasn't very specific on the phone. Uh, so they they show up and they start seeing all this water, and they decide to investigate as well. Now, what I mean by seeing water is John Bojan comes in with Richard Wolbert, and it's still raining from the ceiling to the floor, from the floor to the ceiling. And John Bojan actually goes on to say that the rain was, it was going sideways, not only up and down, but it was going sideways. And at one point in time, he sees a a droplet of rain come from the floor halfway to about eye level and stop. And after it stops, it flies horizontally through the living room through the dining room and around the corner into the kitchen. Now, obviously they're, they're pretty freaked out at this point in time. And they tell, and Don is just sitting here in this trance like state, still on the couch, staring straight ahead, not talking, not interacting or anything. So, um, John Bojan says, you know, get, get Donnie out of the house. You know, this, we need to, you know, the guys need to kind of, you know, investigate a little bit. And uh, the Kiefer's go ahead and take Don to the local pizza shop. Now, the local pizza shop is not very far from their house. Uh, it's not directly across the street, but it is down the road a little ways. And as soon as Don leaves, the activity in the house stops. Everything, it stops raining and... uh you know, all the water, it doesn't necessarily dry up, but it stops. And John Bojan and Ron Van Wy and uh, Ron's wife, Romaine, are just like, well, that's kind of odd. You know, this never had happened before, Donnie. Now that he's out of the house within 15 or 20 minutes of him leaving, it's not doing it anymore. So the Kiefer's and Don are at the local pizzeria after this. And the cops at the, in this point in time, the cops do leave the house because there's nothing really to look into. Uh, there's no leaking water pipes. The activity had stopped. Don had left. Now, when they make it to the pizzeria, a woman named Pam, uh, Scrofano, who is the owner of the pizzeria, 
she she knows Donnie. She knows the keepers. He gets in there. Now, she noticed that when Donnie is still in a trance-like state, she noticed that he was just non-interactive and just zoning out. And Donnie himself realizes that it could this could possibly be him. He starts because in his own words and everybody around him says he's in a trance-like state, but he has some level of comprehension at this point because what happens is is it starts raining in the pizzeria that he's sitting in. And while he's sitting there and he has some comprehension, he starts thinking that there's a good chance that this is his fault. Um, everybody really kind of starts freaking out in the pizzeria. Most of the people leave. Um, Pam, she goes to the cash register and she is thinking that something is seriously wrong, you know, with Donnie. He's in this trance like state. His pupils, she said his pupils were dilated and it's literally raining inside this pizzeria. Now the level of the rain inside the pizzeria did not did not, um, you know, exceed or compare to the level in the uh, in the house, but it was bad enough to where people left because they were freaked out. So she goes to the cash register where she had a crucifix. Now, like like I said in uh, in the episode, it's really funny because you know it's like, hey, who the hell carries around crucifixes and cash registers and random pizzerias in America? And it's like, you know. 1983 in the Midwest, that's pretty much who, (laughs) you know, and she pretty much touches it to Donnie's skin, and he does seem a little bit affected by it. Now, um, he, you know, Donnie apparently had gotten, quote unquote, burned a little bit by this crucifix, but the rain kind of stopped after that. And it kind of woke Donnie up a little bit. So while they were sitting there, um, Pam pretty much is like, you know, you need to get him out of here. There's something wrong with him. And by this point in time, the Kiefers had found out that the activity at the house had stopped. So they decide to leave and take Donnie back to their house. You know, I hate to cut you off, but that's pretty poor customer service. You're going to take a customer and chase them out of your establishment just because there's a little bit of rain. What happened to the customer is always right. You know what? That's kind of what I asked myself, too. And here's the deal. Like, I, you know, if anything else, you'd think that would draw customers in. You would think. Like, hey, everybody come check this out. If it, if it was raining Parmesan cheese, she wouldn't have said shit. Mm. She'd have scraped that stuff up because that stuff's expensive. Yeah, she would have gave him a job is what would have happened. <laughs> just, <laughs> so, so they, just like, here, just stand around with buckets and collect some cheese, man. So they go back to the house. Yeah. They go back to the house, and almost immediately, immediately after Donnie walks back in the door, the waterworks start up all over again. Now, while they're at the house, this is where it gets really, really interesting because they get back in the house and the water starts up again. Well, the two women 
Um, leave it to the two women to start ripping Donnie apart and yelling and screaming at him and shit. Of course. They basically, you know, it's just human nature, man. They, they pretty much take him into the kitchen and they corner him. Now, at this point, Donnie does have, he, he, he has a good recollection of this happening because he actually describes it himself. Um, he's like, they, they start yelling at me. They cornered me in the kitchen and they just start yelling at me and they keep telling me to knock it off. And they're yelling at him saying, saying things like, you know, we know somehow you're doing this. Knock it off. You're scaring everybody. You know, this isn't, this isn't right. You know, we knock it off, Donnie. Well, Donnie himself says while this is happening, he starts getting more and more angry and he's like, he had a feeling that it was him, but there was nothing he could do to control it. So he starts getting more and more angry. Now, what happens is all the plates and all the pots and pans in this kitchen, whether they were hanging on the wall or on the kitchen counter, they start rattling and they start banging around. And at this point in time, Donnie levitates. They said roughly about eight inches off of the floor. And he gets thrown against the, one of the back kitchen walls. Now, as after he gets thrown up against this wall, he gets pretty much all his feeling back. He It pretty much like snapped him back. And he's just kind of sitting there, you know, on the, on the floor. And he's like, what, what in the hell is going on? Now, when he, he also notices at this point in time that he has more scratches on him in the sets of three. And he also notices that one of these sets of scratches is in the shape of a crown. Now, at this point in time, I don't know how or why, but Donnie starts coming to the conclusion that maybe his grandfather is the one causing this. He, he starts thinking to himself that his grandfather wanted to cause him so much pain while he was alive that he wanted to try to keep doing it while he, even after he was dead. And, you know, we don't know, you know, where he came up with that theory or realization or whatever. But at this point in time, um, I believe it is the Kiefer's. Uh, they go get a Bible. And they start reading from Psalm. And it's still raining inside the house, mind you. Now, they start reading from Psalm. And at the, about that point in time, everything starts, it, it slows down a little bit. It doesn't really so much subside at this point, but it does slow down. Now, also, while this is happening, uh, Officer, Officer Bojan returns with Wolbert because... Um, Bob and Ron had called the police back again because everything was going on. Well, Officer Bojan and Wolbert return with the chief of police this time. Now, the chief of police walks in, and as soon as he walks in, he's getting shot with water up and down and left and right. Now, he's only there for a few minutes, and he says there's something wrong with the plumbing. It's got to be a plumbing issue. And he left, and he ordered his men to leave as well. He told Bojan and Wolbert, you guys are going to leave, and you will not make an official 
police report of this. This will not ever be mentioned. So they leave. They had to follow orders and they leave. Now, after they're sitting there reading uh, reading Psalm a little bit, they're literally looking for any kind of priest or preacher or anything they can find to help do somewhat of a you know makeshift exorcism and nobody is nobody wants to touch it because they're just like dude you know you guys are full of shit you know there's no way this is going on they don't believe it and as we know with you get enough into the paranormal and demonology um, in order to get an official exorcism from a Catholic priest, you have to get permission from the Vatican. And there is a lot of channels you have to go through and a lot of evidence and proof that you need that this is not something else. So they can't just call up a Catholic priest like in the movies and come over and do, you know, just an exorcism within an hour and everything be okay. I mean, even Annalise... Uh, your episode on her, how many exorcisms? They were in the 60s yep. on exorcisms, right? Yep. They should have just called a Jehovah's Witness. Them guys would jump at a chance just to get in a house. Mm. You're damn right they would, <laughs> and they'd, they'd try every trick they could to be like, no, we'll do it. We'll do the exorcism, man. Just <laughs> let us in. Let us spread the word of God and just let us in the door, man. But, uh, you know, everything kind of subsides for the night they actually got a hold of a of an evangelical preacher of all things and he came over and he helped them um pretty much they were reading from the bible from what i understand for anywhere from one to two hours and everything pretty much subsided and calmed down uh at this point in time uh the the preacher he leaves so they all decide to get some rest. Now, the next day, the cops return, uh, and that would be Bojan and Wolbert, and they bring two more cops with them. And those cops are Bill Davies and Lieutenant John Rundle. Now, while they're there, Donnie is awake and he's more active, and he goes into this trance-like state again. And, you know, all four of these uniformed police officers, and the only reason that, that Wolbert and um, Bojan brought the other two is because they were telling them about it, and they didn't believe it. They're like, there's no way, man. There is absolutely no way. And they're like, you are going to come back with us. And, like, that, they didn't even call the cops that time. Like, Bojan and Wolbert voluntarily came over because Bojan felt – if if you watch some interviews with Bojan, he felt really bad because they're the police officers that, you know, people call for help and they had no answers. They could not explain this and there was no way that they could help. So when when they went back and Bojan states, he's like, you know, I wanted to go back and I wanted to check and to see how everything was. But he did return with a with Wolbert and then two other cops, uh, Davies and Rundle. And Lieutenant John Rundle um, actually witnesses another levitation of Donnie Decker, uh, the extent of which is not really too known. He didn't get into too much detail on it, 
but he does say that he witnessed three scratch marks appear on the side of Donnie's neck. Now, again, they go to call a preacher. Um, they call the same evangelical preacher over. And, you know, at, at about this point in time, uh, again, everything pretty much subsides. Uh, the cops are freaked out. They don't even know what in the hell to do. But it is also about this point in time where Johnny or where Donnie's furlough is over and he has to go back to jail. Now, this is. You know, I can say it at 10,000 10, times. This is where it starts getting really interesting, but it literally just keeps getting better and better. Uh, it keeps getting worse and worse for Donnie, obviously. But um, later that day, after the co- after the the second set of cops, one of which witnessed that that second levitation, they they uh, they take Donnie back to jail, and Donnie even says after the evangelical preacher came over and did that you know like a pseudo exorcism like a little makeshift exorcism he said he felt a lot better um he said he was you know start starting to feel a little bit back to normal not a hundred percent now they return donnie back to jail um in which case another person comes in uh his name is dave keenhold and dave keenhold is the he was the former warden uh, he was the warden at the time that Donnie was in jail there. Now, they bring Donnie back in, and they put him in a cell, and he's got a cellmate with him. And Dave Keenhold had heard a little bit of conversation, but not much, between some of the guards and some of the officers. Um, you know, it, there was a lot of talk going on at this time, because this was about two to three days of just weird random shit happening, you know, with raining in, raining indoors in two different places at this point. Now, Dave Keenhold really didn't say he heard too much about Donnie. He had heard a little bit, but he also states that he, when they were bringing him back in, he was there when he was being processed back in. And he straight up says, he's like, you could look at this guy and just be freaked out. He's like, you could tell there was something not right about him. He had a blank stare and just, he, and Dave Keenhold even says, he's like, man, he's like, you just felt like it was pure evil just being around him. Now, Donnie is pretty, he has somewhat of, you know, he has pretty much his composure back. So while they put him in the jail cell, it was it's really funny because a lot of the inmates had heard about the stories about Donnie, and nobody wanted to be in the same jail cell with him because they were all scared to death of him. And they put him in the jail cell, and at this point in time, Donnie starts thinking back over the last few days of what has happened. And he comes to the realization that maybe he can control what's happening. Maybe he can make it rain himself just by thinking about it. And, you know, that's not the first time that that's ever happened. According to NCAA reports, the University of Louisville makes it rain in dorms all the time. (laughs) Here we go, man. Here we go. (laughs) 
Here we go, man. All right. Just for the record, anybody who doesn't know, I'm a diehard IU fan. <laughs> Jerry over here is not so much. Yeah, he is a Kentucky fan, Louisville fan. Probably both. No, no, that's not ever going to happen. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. Just a Kentucky fan, which is probably bad okay. enough for you. It, actually, I'd rather you be a Louisville fan than a Kentucky fan. I, but I, I know that you, you know. would. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he, he gets in there and he starts thinking about it and he sits there and he's like, well, maybe if I concentrate really, really hard, maybe I can make it rain inside. And he's sitting on his bunk in his cell and he says he just starts concentrating, just concentrating. And he says at that point in time, he looks down at the ground and water starts seeping out of the concrete floors. And now about you know, anywhere from 10 to 20 seconds later, he says he snaps his fingers and it literally starts raining in this jail cell. Well, his inmate is freaking out, trying to rip bars out of concrete to get the hell out of this jail cell with Donnie. And um, he's yelling for guards. He's yelling for anything. Well, the guards show up and... Um, there were two guards that show up, and they accuse Donnie of messing with the sink, like s- splashing water all over the place. Well, that combined with the fact that his cellmate was so terrified of him at this point in time, and he had only been in his cell maybe about an hour, they decide to put him in his own cell in a in a different block. So he's literally on the other half of the jail, all by itself. And he's over there. Well, while he's over there, he's just sitting there, and he knows. At this point in time, he's like, I can I can control this. He's like, what in the hell is going on? You know, he's like, I, I can control the rain. And uh, so while he's sitting there, and he's just kind of thinking about all this, there's a couple... There's a couple of uh, guards that are giving Donnie a hard time. And Donnie's trying to tell him. He's like, I didn't do anything in my cell. He's like, I didn't break the sink. I didn't splash water anywhere. He's like, I can make it rain indoors. And the guards had heard previously about what had happened while he was on his furlough. So they literally start blowing him a bunch of shit. And... The, the guards just don't believe him. They're, they're razzing him up and down. So one of the guards dares him. He says, I tell you what. He's like, if you can make it rain, or no, the guard says, if you can hit the warden from here with some rain, he's like, I will believe you. He's like, I don't think you can do it. So Donnie, man, he just looks at him. He says, you know what? I can try. So old Donnie, he says he meditates, kind of. He goes into like almost like a small meditation, and he snaps his fingers. Now, while he's doing this, the guards are actually going to the warden's office, which I believe is on the second floor of the jail. Now, it's really, really funny because the guards are going to the warden's office to actually see if Donnie could hit the warden with any of this rain. And at this point in time, Warden Keyhold, Keenhold is up 
in his office and he's wrapping stuff up. He said it was just after supper time. He was just doing some paperwork and all that kind of good stuff. And he says out of nowhere, he says he feels like kind of wet on his shirt. And he looks down and there's this huge like water spot right square in the middle of his sternum. And right at about this time, the guards walk in and the guards were sitting there and they, they walk in and they're like, holy shit. They're looking at each other. Like, are you, are you kidding me right now? Because they walk in and Keyhole's like, just looking at them like what in the hell, you know? And it, it was kind of like a mutual thing from what I understand. And, Keenhold, like I said, he hadn't heard much about Donnie, but he had heard enough, and he knew. He knew it was Donnie. He's like, something is not right with that kid, man. So what he decides to do is he calls up the minister. So the minister comes over, and this is Reverend William Blackburn. Now, the first thing they do is they take Donnie into a separate room. Now... Reverend Blackburn, first thing he does when he sits him down is he starts accusing Donnie of making everything up. Starts accusing him of being a liar and somehow being a fake and, you know, pretty much everything you can come up with to call him a liar. And Donnie starts getting really, really pissed. And he remembers this, too. He does an interview and he he was... He, he, he was comprehending at this point in time and Donnie gets so mad. And all of a sudden, while the Reverend is sitting there yelling at him, and this is witnessed by the four police officers that I had stated before the warden, uh, three guards and office and management personnel of the jail. It starts raining inside this little room. And it's flying sideways, it's flying up, it's flying down. So Reverend Blackburn op- opens up his Bible. And in Blackburn's own words, he even says the only thing that did not get wet in this entire room is the Bible that he was holding in his hands. Now, Reverend Blackburn, if anybody is curious, he has a very interesting quote that he says in regarding to this, because before he passed away, he was very open to talking about it. He told, he, he straight up said, he's like, you know, God was not in the room that day. Now, as he's reading from the Bible, um, you know, Blackburn is freaked out. He's, you know, pretty much holding it together the best he can. And as everything is proceeding, you know, the, the makeshift exorcism, um, towards it, while it gets towards the end, uh, the rain does start, stop subsiding. And Donnie himself even says that, you know, everything, it felt like a million pounds lifted just off of his body. And as soon as it stopped raining, uh, Reverend Blackburn, took his Bible, walked out the door, and uh, it never happened to Donnie Decker again. Man, that's 
see, that's the whole thing about that. It's from start to finish. That's why I wanted to have you on because <laughs> you do a remarkable job of telling that story. I mean, you, you've got it down so well. I mean, that it's just like second nature just to tell it. So here's what I want to do. Uh, we're going to have, uh, another gentleman on Chris, uh, Cogswell from the mad scientist in a, a little bit. And he's actually going to try to give a scientific approach to what may or may not have happened. So it's going to be a pretty awesome. cool twist of the show. Justin, it's been awesome having you on here. We probably waited way too long to do this. Uh, we'll def- sure. definitely collaborate again in the future on your show. Uh, yes, we will. Yes, we will. And I, I'm looking forward to that because like we were talking beforehand, it's going to be a pretty cool one, man. It'll be a very cool one. Tell people again, uh, obviously the show uh, that you host by yourself is Mysterious Circumstances. If you haven't uh, already downloaded it by the, by the time you've heard this, I'm sure you will. Uh, subscribe to that. Uh, American Crimecast, you also co-host on there. You're very active on uh, on Instagram and, and Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. Tell everybody how they can get a hold of you on there. Uh, well, uh, Facebook-wise, uh, I do have the Facebook page for Mysterious Circumstances and American Crimecast. Those are separate. Our group is the same. We have a Facebook group together. Uh, me and Shane actually have our own podcast network, and we have a lot of listeners from the other podcasts that we are currently starting. Uh, they all just, we all just join in there and have a good time. Uh, there's not easy to, it's not hard to find. It's a, you know, American Crime Cast or Mysterious Circumstances. Hit the group button. It'll pop up. Uh, Instagram. Uh, if you just heard my name, so, uh, just look for my personal account there, or you can follow at Mysterious Podcast, um, and that's just for the podcast. Uh, you know, Twitter is at PodcastMC, um, and I think that, that about covers it, I, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, and if you, and if you Google, make sure you Google Justin Rimmel. If you Google Justin Rimjob, you get a whole different site and you're not going to get the podcast. Oh, it's at all. bad. And make sure you don't click images. <laughs> make sure you don't click images. But I will tell you this on a cool side note, and I actually found this out after I did this Donnie Decker episode, and you, you might be interested in this. Uh, the Warrens who have their little museum, mm-hmm. uh, of haunted things, they have, the Bible that uh, Reverend Blackburn used in that exorcism in their museum. Oh, really cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, I found that out after the fact. I wish I would have known beforehand, but but yeah, it's a pretty cool little side fact. But it's a very interesting case, and there's been there's been a few TV shows on it. So if anybody wants to do further research, I always offer. And if I'm wrong about shit, tell me, you know. And there was one other real case of something happening with the rain inside. It was the uh, Rochdale uh, poltergeist and that's uh, that's a story maybe we'll get into later i didn't want to get into it um so close to being on the heels of telling this story too similar of a situation but there are other cases where people have been able to make it rain inside with uh some type of poltergeist type activity so yep. it's definitely uh definitely stuff out there that that would substantiate that this isn't a a one-time thing yep justin brother i appreciate you coming on it's been fun and uh i'll see you around Yeah, thank you for having me, and I look forward to having you, man. All right, brother. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Man, what about Justin? He's a case, ain't he? Yes, he is so funny. I like it. He just tells it as it is, too. And then when we did that on Skype, he forced me to look at him the whole time on uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> we had to do video and, and looking at somebody that that's uh, that good looking compared to what he was looking at was, I don't even know how he Aww, kept his focus. That's not true, babe. But, you're you're very hot and sexy. Okay. And yeah. I love you. This is a paranormal story. I love you too. So mm. I guess I, I look more the paranormal part than he does the true crime part, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so now without further ado, we're going to back to back that real quick with uh, uh, Chris Cogswell from The Mad Scientist, and he's going to start giving us some idea on what he thought happened from the scientific standpoint. Pretty cool. All right, and welcome back. Uh, I am joined by uh, a colleague, sort of, of mine by the name of uh, Chris Cogswell. He's actually one of the hosts of uh, The Mad Scientist podcast, and we're both members of a group called uh, Dark Myths. Uh, it's a pretty cool setup. It's a, it's a bunch of podcasters that are along the same line. Some little bit of true crime, a little bit of paranormal stuff like that. Uh, you can check all of us out on, uh, darkmyths.org. And I would urge you to go do that because you'll find some really cool shows on it. I'm going to try to get as many of these podcasters on the show as possible. Some of them have already been on. Some of them will be on. And, uh, we're going to start going, uh, a little deeper into this. And, and the first guest since I joined the group is Chris. Chris, thanks for coming on. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Your show is very unique, uh, and, and I mean that truly. I don't know of any shows. I mean, there's stuff, the, the NPR stuff and uh, the true science shows, which, which strictly are science. Your show's different because it takes science and it puts it in a comic form. It puts it in a paranormal form, and you discuss all kinds of different things and put that twist on it uh, that most of us don't even think about and that's what i sure. like about your show uh i've said thank you yeah <laughs> i said this before to you and i said it i think last week on the show i love your show but at least once every show you completely lose me you're you're way smarter than i am by any shape <laughs> of the imagination uh but it's in a, it's in a good way i always end up catching up in the end i end up getting exactly what you're saying but there's always a few seconds where i'm like stuck in the matrix or something where i have no clue <laughs> What's going on? You're falling down into the void, right? <laughs> yeah. It's it's such a funny so it's it's really interesting. When I when I decided to do the show, I was kind of thinking, you know, I wanted it to be something that I could explain science and really really difficult scientific concepts to my mom. Right? Like that was that was the goal was if I could do a show where my mom after she listens can say like, "I understand this. We're all good on this." then I would be happy with it, right? And my mom's the same exact way. Like, you know, my mom, my mom, I'm sure, has lost way longer than, than a, a couple times. My mom afterwards is always just like, yeah, it was a good one. It was nice. I liked uh, I liked when you talked about the chemicals. You know, and so it's <laughs> it's such a hard, like, it's so hard to, to push science. It's really hard when, because science is such a, such a continuous process that if you don't have the very basics down it makes it really hard to build up to something more difficult um but we're, we're trying man i'm really happy to hear that you're you're enjoying it people seem to be enjoying it so you know i'm uh i'm excited about it yeah it's it's going really well it's, we've actually i know you guys just had your one year anniversary getting ready to yeah we so we we're actually just about to have ours as well it's it's really interesting i think you said on twitter how many good shows started in august of last year you know um, but yeah, it's like the, we started in August as well. You guys started around this time. I think, uh, was it pleasing terror started this time around last year? Yep, Twisted Philly, so, same thing. 
Twisted Philly. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, it's really like we're in a, I don't know, we're just, we're, we're a good batch of podcasts. So it's good stuff. It's just, it's just odd that it all happens to be in August. It's like people, it's like they got bored in the summer and so maybe a school's getting ready to start back. Let's start a podcast. Right. People had a little bit of leftover money. They were like, you know what I could buy? I could buy some recording equipment. <laughs> I could afford a mic and, you know, a little bit of other stuff. Look, I want to urge people not only to listen to your show, but specifically the very last show that you did. It was a, it was a, uh, uh, little bit of a mashup. You had another show, uh, the guys from Rumor Fly, Rumors Flies were, yeah. were on your show. And I thought it was particularly interesting because you guys covered, like all these things that you see on CSI, all these misnomers on how quick it takes to get back DNA evidence and stuff like that and how easy it is to find stuff on the shows compared to real life. But you talked about, you know, lie detector tests. You talked about uh, blood splatter and, and, and a little bit of the science behind that. And I thought it was a, a really fascinating show. I was actually driving to Louisville. So it, the whole drive in, I was listening to that episode and I mean, I just thought every single aspect of it was fascinating because the guys from from uh, Rumors Flies they they just kind of uh, uh, they get at each other anyway, so that's kind of funny. So they kind of debate back and forth on these subjects, and then uh, you and I, I think Marie was on the show also, and it was just it was just a really fun show to listen to, and it answered a lot of questions that I know I had, and I would say out of all the shows you've done, that's probably the one that I think would probably had the widest. Uh, appeal to people because i think most of the things you answered are things that most people generally wonder about yeah we're hoping so we're really hoping that we'll be able to start doing a lot more true crime so we're actually thinking of we're actually thinking of starting uh basically like a true crime spinoff of our show probably still with be within the same you know the same show format and everything but the idea is to you know the idea is to just have these stories, you know, I think the first one we're going to do is is Elisa Lamb, you know, and answer some of these questions that I think are brought up on other pods, but there's not enough. I don't think, you know, people don't feel confident talking like like you said, right? Like people assume that I'm I must be much smarter than them, but really, like the only difference between me getting like you know being in science and someone else not being in science is I don't know when to quit. You know what I mean? Like I, I just I'm too stubborn, and I'm like I don't understand this. I'm going to keep doing it for 10 years until I freaking understand it. You know what I mean? And so, uh, you know, so I think there's a lot of things like with, with the Elisa Lamb case, especially there's a lot of, a lot of little things that people don't think to ask or have asked, but couldn't find the answers to. And we're able to just kind of, you know, I mean, Marie is like, uh, Marie's like a freaking hound dog, man. She'll find anything, you know, she, it's like you put her on the trail and she'll, she'll get it. You know what I mean? Right. And I, and I don't, you know, like I said, it's some of that, and that's a perfect probably case to, to even look into because there are so many unanswered questions on that situation. And I've heard so many different takes on it, but most of them uh, kind of are on the same thing. Now, Mike Brown on Pleasing Terrors, to, to bring him up again, he actually did probably the best uh, episode that I've heard on her because it did cover a lot of things that, you know, everything from the history of the hotel and, and yeah, a couple exactly. other aspects. Yeah, it's so funny the... Like when we when we decided on the first thing, you know, so we so uh, pleasing terrors is another phenomenal dark myth show. Um, we're just in like great company, man. But uh, when I when we decided on that case for our first one, we were like, oh, I, you know, we have to see who's done it. And then we just found that like every single person in dark myths has done it. So <laughs> so we're hoping like you know to learn. 
from what they did and to build off of it. You know what I mean? I mean, we've had so many people ask us to do it, but to me, that's one of those things that's been covered so many times. I didn't see where we had anything we could add to it. Therefore, we haven't done I, it. I know. It's such a hard, you know, we, so we always get the same, we get the same thing. We get people ask us about, people ask us about all kinds of stuff that we're always just kind of like, you know, all we, people do it. We know, you know, so Mothman is one that we always get asked about. Yep. That I would love to do an episode on Mothman for sure. But it's one of those ones where like, I, I think in a lot of ways, similar to Poltergeist cases where there just isn't a lot of evidence, so there's not a lot of science you could bring to it. You know what I mean? Right. It's more it's kind it's of like maybe more myth than fact. Exactly. You know, when it's it is you know at, at a certain point you get to the at a certain point it becomes do you trust what someone says they saw versus what you know to be physically possible or you think to be physically possible? And at that point it's kind of like you know you throw your hands up in the air and you're like I don't know. So. We will probably eventually do Mothman, but I think we're going to give it a couple years. See, we're going to do it this month. Yeah. That's, that's one I'm of excited. the ones. But I'm excited for you guys to do it. I, I really I, – I mean I know we're on your show, but I love your show. Um, you know, you, you and your wife I think are, are, are great storytellers, so I'm, I'm pumped for the Mothman series, man. Well, you know, I think what's going to try to make ours a little bit different, because it's the reason that we've waited so long to do it anyway, is I think instead of focusing like everybody does on the whole Point Pleasant situation, I think yeah. we're going to talk about that, obviously. But I think we're going to focus more on other sightings around the world. There's been tons of sightings around the world of yeah, the similar they're, they're Texas. and Yeah, so we're going to focus more on how many types of sightings are around and and we'll we'll focus on that one since that's the one everybody knows, but it's not going to be the whole show by any means. Sure, sure, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, let's talk a little bit about this show because I know you've got some uh, some other aspects that you want to talk about. But first and foremost, we're going to talk about the Donnie Decker situation. Of course, we had uh, Justin Rimmel on from uh, uh, Mysterious Circumstances uh, right before you came on, telling us the story of Donnie Decker, which I find completely fascinating. And I thought to bring you on, this was the perfect episode because science really hasn't had a whole lot to offer in this situation. And there's been one other poltergeist case where this similar thing happened and it was highly documented as well. And so, but this one mainly is the one because there was so many people that saw it, including police officers and, and uh, people at diners and, and what have you. So I wanted to get your take on what you thought happened in this Donnie Decker uh, incident and if you had any scientific explanation for what went on. Yeah, so, you know, it's funny when uh, you didn't give me an easy one to start with. <laughs> <laughs> That's the plan. You gave, you gave me a tough one. So, so first off, the one thing that right off the bat, so just so your listeners know a little bit, a little bit more about me so they can get a sense of where I'm coming from just to begin with. Um, I have, uh, I have a bachelor's degree in chemical engineering and philosophy. And my philosophy self was focused on the philosophy of science and specifically like pseudoscience and what is a science versus what is a philosophy and what's the difference between the two and all that kind of fun stuff we get to on my show. And then I, I uh, recently finally finished my PhD in chemical engineering and my research was on, um, like nanomaterials. So, so I have a lot of, um, I would say I have a lot of chemistry and physics. I don't have so much biology. So that's a little, that's one of my, one of my uh, low points there. So whenever we get a, a biological question on the show, I kind of try to bring it up to other people. You know what I mean? I'll, 
I'll ask some a friend or I'll ask an expert or something like that. Anyways, with so we actually did cover a poltergeist case on our show. We just did a general a general story of poltergeists. And one interesting thing with the poltergeist phenomena, let's say, is that in the vast majority of cases when it's been investigated, it it turns out that there's a li- the likely situation is that it is somebody faking it, unfortunately. And I don't, I don't, there's a lot of, you know, not to throw us, you know, not to throw um, shade or anything here. I don't know enough about Mr. Decker to make the claim that he's just making it up or whatever. And he's convinced a lot of people. So who knows? But just to keep that in the back of the mind that, you know, even, even in the most famous of poltergeist cases where um, I can't think off the top of my head what the case was that we did, but there's a very famous one where it's a, it was a young girl who, supposedly could make things levitate and there's this there's a famous photo of her levitating a a phone yep i remember that one okay and in that actual that actual picture it well it turns out that what was occurring um in those cases was she couldn't make things levitate if people were looking at her so they had to look away and so what they did was take that photo everyone in the room or there was no one else in the room or something and then she could tell them when to take the photo. And so what has been supposed in that case is, well, she was probably just throwing the phone and you know making stuff up and whatever. Now, with this case in particular, it's, it's pretty interesting because of all of the people that claim to have seen him actually cause rain to fall, right? Now, one big point that's always brought up with these cases um, – especially with this with this Donnie Decker one is that it is very well documented right there's so many people who have who have uh, seen what actually happened or or claim to have seen and experienced it partially right correct now the other interesting aspect of this case though is that we're dealing with again not to not to throw any shade or anything we're dealing with people who subsequently have come out to not be so trustworthy Right. So the the um, David Keenhold, the warden of the jail that he was in, um, actually was forced to resign in May um, for a sex scandal in the prison. Uh, Donnie himself has now recently been sent back to jail for arson. Um, you know, so, again, something just to keep in the back of the mind. It's there's it's hard in, in times like this to take people's words seriously if they aren't necessarily on the up and up in other cases. Do you know what I mean? Completely that's why we're always, that's why we're always looking for like that. We're always looking. So I, I want to believe this stuff, right? I would love for there to be something, a new branch of science that we could investigate, right? Where people are actually able to move stuff with their mind or cause, you know, water to fall or whatever. I would love that to be the case, but we're always looking for that. We're always looking for that perfect, that perfect messenger. Right. And in a lot of cases, we're never going to get that. You know, we, we, you don't decide who experiences things. There's no way to tell who's going to experience something. And so in this case, um, you know, these are the people that experience these things. These are the people that claim that they happen to them. So all we can do is take it with a grain of salt and move forward, right? Now, as for the science itself, right, one big problem with this case is that no one – there are – from in so – as I as I understand the way the timeline happened, let's take the first the first incident of rain being made, right? 
which also is is um, which also is something we're going to get to. How can one actually make rain? Right. If he was going to fake this, how could he do it? Right. That's another interesting way to come to this is if he was going to fake it, if you were going to fake this for your friends or something at a party, how could you do it? Right. OK. So in the first instance where he makes the rain, he's upstairs in the bathroom alone for a period of time. Do we know how long he was in that bathroom for? I thought it was like something like 15 minutes or so. 15 minutes. Right. So it's not a huge amount of time. But potentially – so one thing I always wonder with these cases is in a lot of, in a lot of times where there, are, there is poltergeist activity, it occurs when there's not a lot of people around or there's, there's not a lot of people around for the, the, introductory, of, the introductory event, right? Mm-hmm. So potentially if, if you were upset about someone who had potentially abused you as a child dying or you were having mixed feelings or something – you go upstairs and you, I don't know, act out, do something weird. You cut your arm and you let the faucet stay on. Do you know what I mean? Water gets into the floorboards and then it's dripping down from the ceiling. That doesn't explain all of the rain, right? They claim to see horizontal rain and rain coming from the bottom and everything like that. Correct. But again, um, that is an explanation for potentially the introduction of the event, right? Because that's a big problem here. Where does the rain come from? You can't just – if you remember when I was setting this when – when we were setting this show up, I had, I had said I was going to make both a philosophical argument against this case and a scientific one, right? The, the philosophical one would be do we – so, OK. Let's start from the beginning. Number one, if he was making it rain, that water has to come from somewhere. That fluid, whatever it is, has to come from somewhere. Right. Correct. You can't just you can't just bring fluid out of out of the void or something. And this is actually a point of contention amongst um, philosophers of religion and demonologists and people who do um, people who in the past, at least, because it's not really a very serious study now in, in academia. But in the past, let's say, you know, the 1600s, the 1500s, um, this was taken very seriously. The question of. What are the limits of God's power versus the limits of the devil's or a demon's power? Right During the witchcraft trials, it was a big deal to lay out exactly what a witch could or couldn't do to be sure that when you're hanging someone for being a witch potentially, you're not getting it wrong. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and they did such a great job with that. So <laughs> They did a phenomenal job with that. <laughs> um, so, so one argument that was brought up at the time by – people like St. Thomas Aquinas and, um, you know, other theologians is the idea that the devil or the dark forces, demons, whatever you want to say, whoever was possessing people at the time, they were not supernatural. They were what is known as preternatural right now. It's a, it's an interesting difference to be supernatural means that you can break the laws of physics. You can break the laws of the natural world. And these, these theologians and philosophers argued that only God had that power. Because if God created the universe, then how could there be a similar power like the devil who could also break the laws of the universe? Do you, you know what I mean? Like yeah. if God's the ultimate being, then he has to be the ultimate. He or she has to be the ultimate. And so no one else should be able to break certain rules, whatever those rules are. We don't know because we can't know what. God is thinking on the so their their way to get out of this without saying fully well there must not be a devil then was to say well 
then demons and the devil are just really, really, they're faster than us. They're smarter than us. They're stronger than us, right? They're, they're preternatural. They're above natural averages, right? They're above what we currently take to be natural laws. So someone like Thomas Aquinas might argue that in the case of Donnie Decker, what had to be happening somehow was if he is possessed, then something is bringing the water to the house somehow and causing it to seem like it's raining. Or they're tricking the people into hallucinating that this was happening or something, right? Um, and this is this is a part of a really interesting thing in the history of, of uh, demonology, the history of witchcraft, the history of pseudoscience generally. This idea of you start with a claim that's supernatural or completely out of nature's grasp, and then over time, as science gets better, you have to start giving ground to science, right? So it used to be that demons could do anything. They could make people fly. They could do whatever. Then after a little bit of time, it became, well, actually, all they can do are the things that humans can do, but they can do them faster and better and smarter and whatever, and then nowadays, what we make the claim that demons or ghosts can do are things like mess with electronic equipment or make a voice on a recording, right? The, the power of ghosts or demons or whatever gets less and less over time. Do you know what I mean? Right. So I would actually, I would actually argue similarly to, to St. Thomas Aquinas that um, we have a big problem here with this rain. Right, like the pots and pans shaking actually is fine. It makes makes some sense, right? I would I would think even as a skeptic, that is something that I would look for in a normal say or in a and people. I'm sure people who are listening are going to be they're pulling their hair out right now. They're like, you know, um, you know, it's it's by definition not something that's lawful, right? It doesn't make sense because it's it's out of our realm of nature, right? But I think philosophically. It has to be within the natural order. You know what I mean? So it can't be um, – I, 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 don't, I don't think the rain – I don't think rain appearing like that would be a sensible thing even theologically for a demon or someone who's possessed to be able to do, right? All right. Well, let me let me jump in here and play devil's advocate, so to speak. Go ahead. Um, okay. A couple of different things on what you've said. Now, let's just say – Let's take the rain, for example. Now, everybody calls it rain for lack of a better term, but the people who were involved that saw this, and you keep in mind, you had a couple of cops, you had a sergeant uh, yep. on top of the people. Then supposedly he went to the pizzeria where it started happening in there where you got several witnesses, which which the concept of if he went upstairs and started all this, kind of set yeah. it up beforehand, that really doesn't apply to the pizza place because nobody knew they were going to be coming to the pizza place. So Absolutely. that would kind of, you know, be my argument against that. But also, supposedly this stuff had more of a, uh, I guess, an oily type residue, kind of a stickiness to it. It wouldn't really like water per se. And to counter what you were saying about uh, within the realm of, of uh, physical possibility to create something like that, you know, you've got situations where that this appears to pop up a lot in the paranormal in the whole uh, demon house of Gary, Indiana. There was some type of like um, 
uh, what do you call it, condensation on the windows and stuff that was oily like that, that would appear from nowhere. We've got mm-hmm. this case. You've got the case that was in the news, what, in the last year or so about the uh, older couple, I don't remember what state it was, that supposedly had blood coming out of their walls. And the police came and, and took samples and they couldn't find out where the blood came from and and all that. So there have been instances where liquids have appeared in cases before. Uh, and I guess to throw something else in there would have, you know, ectoplasm, uh, if that's something you even believe exists. I mean, that could, that's another situation of some type of a liquid type form appearing basically out of nowhere. So that would be my counter to what you're sure. saying. So what I would say is that, so it's, there are only really two laws of the universe, right? People like to say in science that there's all these scientific laws. There's actually only two of them. And they're actually related. The, the two Im- completely unbreakable laws of the universe are that mass and energy cannot be created or destroyed, right? So if you have a certain amount of mass at the beginning of a process, you have to have the same amount of mass at the end, even if it's changed form, right? Mm-hmm. And the only way that they can actually change, the way, only way that you can lose mass is in a nuclear reaction, right? That's what Einstein is famous for. E equals mc squared is energy is equal to mass times the speed of light squared. So energy and mass do convert in a nuclear reaction. But again, one of those two has to be conserved always, right? That, and that's true in all parts of the, in all parts of the natural world that we've, we've been able to investigate. That's the truth, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what that means for cases like that where liquid or fluid is coming out of the walls seemingly or something, that had to come from somewhere, right? Unless we want to say that these dark forces can break natural laws, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the point I was getting at, I would say, is that it brings up a in – a, in a lot of cases with these paranormal things, I think a lot of the problem – a lot of the problems people run into – is that cuz like i said i've i've had paranormal ish experiences i would say i've um i'm definitely a a believer in some things but i would say that one of the big problems is that the people aren't consistent in what they believe and how it fits together and that's just i mean people are busy you know i mean not everyone's sitting around considering all their their opinions and thoughts and whatever you know what i mean that's just a way of life just what happens but in these paranormal cases, if we want things to fit within science where we're measuring them, right, like where we're taking EMF readers and and um, taking EVPs and whatever, then they have to fit within physics. Otherwise, anything is possible, and maybe we can measure, maybe we can't, but the lack of measurement then is no longer indicative of, like, this house doesn't have ghosts or, or that kind of thing. Um, now, that's a very long-winded way of saying – one argument I've seen given for what is occurring in these cases is that there already was water present. Donnie just somehow made it come up out of the wall. Do you know what I mean? So it's like it's already back there or it's on the roof or something, and he's using telekinesis to move the water or change it from ice to water and then having it pushed through the pores of the wall, right? Mm-hmm. Even that is a little bit – even that is a little bit more – stomachable for me right <laughs> right that he's not creating the water he's just moving it that's okay but again 
that's taking away something from this supernatural case, right? Then it just becomes always he's kind of telekinetic for a little bit of time. Now, one thing, one thing that I did see brought up as a possibility for where the water was coming from is what's known as an ice dam. This one, this one, I think Justin actually t- uh, kind of touched on a little bit at the end of his episode, where he said that. You know, he he didn't really buy it. Now, the way that the ice dam theory would work is that this was in February um, in Pennsylvania, so it gets really cold. And in the week prior to this event, there had been a snowstorm. So there was snow all over the place. There was snow on the roof. And so basically what happens in an ice dam event is you have snow on top, but the heat from the roof itself is causing the bottom layer of snow closest to your house to melt, right? Mm-hmm. And so then you basically have like a couple of gallons of water just sitting on your roof and then potentially your roof can't handle that much pressure of water. So it flows through and then you end up with water coming, you know, leaking through your ceiling or something. But again, like you said, that doesn't explain, okay, well then they went to the then they went to the restaurant and it seemed to happen again. Then he went to prison and he seemed to make it happen again, right? Right. So I think the ice dam is an okay idea, I think. But, I mean, frankly, for, for me, I'm thinking – the way that I'm thinking that this is occurring is it is a mix between between witnesses not being necessarily – I don't even want to say trustworthy because it doesn't matter about the trustworthiness of the witness. What it really matters about is just the fact of witnesses always getting stuff wrong. Right. Right. Um, that's a that's a very a very well known, well documented phenomena. Right. Um, there are even videos on YouTube. I'm always surprised I get them wrong. Where you know you have you have people kind of walking in the foreground, and then at the end of the video, you're like, well, what what was going on there? And it'll say, you know, did you see the guy in the I don't know in the giant foam hat? Right. And you're like, what guy? And you go back and watch. And in the middle of the people walking, say, from left to right, there's a guy with, like, a neon foam hat wearing – going from the right to the left. You know what I mean? You didn't notice him because that's not what you were focusing on, right? So – and even in cases where – got to imagine, too, this was a high-stress case. This was a high-stress environment, right? These people just had a family member pass away. They knew that the relationship between the two of them wasn't very good. They have a family member who's been in jail who has to go back to jail in a couple of days, right? I'm imagining it's going to be very stressful. On top of that, the police come. There's water flowing from someplace. Donnie said, you know, Donnie's sitting there with a trance-like state going on saying, you know, not saying anything. The landlord comes, says, I don't know where this water's coming from. It must be some kind of, you know, I don't know. I, I have no explanation for it. I think there's a lot to be said that these people are going to show up to this situation and be kind of freaked out and maybe even misremember things or, you know, um, just over the period of time or even at the point of it occurring, being a little bit more scared than they're willing to admit to and just getting things wrong. You know what I mean? Well, I, I mean, I, you know, like I said, I definitely wouldn't there. Uh, what I take out of this whole conversation that I find fascinating is that you said Donnie Decker has been arrested for arson. One minute he's making it rain, next minute he's starting fires. You talk about one extreme to the other. <laughs> my my wife made the exact same joke. <laughs> she was like, are you kidding me? You know what the thing is too with this case is that 
I would argue there are a lot more fascinating poltergeist cases, right? Mm-hmm. And there are cases – have you ever heard of the Thornton, Road, the Thornton Road poltergeist? Yep. That one is one that is fascinating to me because, you know, in all, in all of these cases, it's kind of like – to me at least, regardless of whether or not it's someone who is evil because they've been possessed by the devil and that's making these things occur – versus and the person themselves is necessarily evil but you know what i mean whether it's an evil force in the form of a demon causing these events or it's just people being horribly mean like you know um in either case there's something really interesting going on in these events do you know what i mean like there's something to look at here to say what makes someone claim that they can make it rain in a in a room or what causes someone to throw stones at a home for months until the until the person living there basically breaks down crying you know what i mean yeah that was there is that that is kind of crazy it's like you know there is some kind of evil going on whether or not it's demonic or not i can't say but something is something is wrong you know what i mean something is wrong here and that's that's actually another really when we were looking at these poltergeist cases for our episode one thing that's always brought up is the fact that a lot of – the vast majority of poltergeist cases – and this is one instance where, again, Donnie Decker's case is different than we expect to see in poltergeists. The vast majority of poltergeist cases involve a young girl yep. who's right, who's either about to go through puberty or in the throes of puberty. And so a lot of the times the argument is that it's this um, – it's this – I don't know, this groundswell of emotion that's or hormones or whatever the hell they want to say that's causing them then to show these powers, right? Kind of like Carrie. It's PMS. You know, like, it's PMS. All of a sudden – yeah, you know what I mean? Like it's it's always – there's some um, there's some biological change in the brain that's the cause of this. This case is – and that's another thing that makes this case so different than the standard case that it immediately causes it to be suspicious. You know what I mean? Like if, if it, if this had been a, because that's another aspect of this that I find fascinating that this case is, it's well known sort of, but it's, I I had never heard of this case until you mentioned it to me. I was the same way. I hadn't, I hadn't heard of it until I heard it on Justin's show. Yeah. It's, it's one, it's one case that's not very well known. And a lot of the time, why these cases because there is there is of course in you know the paranormal research field is like any other field there's always internal politics and people who have opinions about things i wonder if because this case is so different than the average that people don't take it seriously in the community of of paranormal researchers you know what i mean i wonder i i do i do wonder if I don't know if there had been more cases of water being made or some kind of fluid or something like that, if there wouldn't be more info. Cause I, I had a very hard time finding information for this case. You know, I had a really hard time. Well, um, I mean, you know, like I said, there's the, there's another case in California. I think it, I can't remember what it is the, the Roushfield poltergeist, something of that nature. Uh, the name escapes me, uh, but it was similar so much to the point where it was raining in the house so much that the guy kept an umbrella on him and they kept plastic on all their furniture. Cause all the furniture was getting ruined. So, I mean, it's, 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 and see, and that's the thing too. If the thing too is 
if there was so I I love this idea of of a water or a fluid or something like that, right? This another thing that this case reminds me of very much is the cases of statues crying. Yep. Right? Of 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 water coming from a you know, water from a stone or something, right? And that's actually that's actually in many cases considered a holy event. You know what I mean? It's considered a positive sign. So it actually makes me it actually makes me I find it very fascinating that their initial suspicion was something negative do you know what i mean um i think maybe that's just the difference between someone i don't know i was raised roman catholic so maybe that's just me <laughs> you know that's just sunday school changing <laughs> changing my views on these things you well, know what i mean I, I think in cases when it's statues though it usually is a religious statue so therefore that would make sense that they would think that's of that true. as a religious uh moment as opposed to this where most people don't consider you know drywall very religious right that's true but you know but water is considered a but water is considered a sanctifying thing right same with oil you know so i do find it interesting that that connection as well um one so one other one other aspect of this that i think potentially so going back to originally when i said Maybe he was, you know, causing these events to occur, right? I, I have no explanation for the restaurant. I, I can't explain the restaurant. You know what I mean, really? In the prison, though, I was not able to find any corroboration for him causing it to rain. That story of the the story of um, of the warden getting hit in the hit in the in the stomach with the water, right? Did you end up getting this getting to find if that had been corroborated anywhere? No, I didn't. Or, or the case where the prisoner was so freaked out he was screaming for guards and stuff. And that, yeah, that I, one I, I couldn't find anything on either. Um, one thing that I was thinking, though, you ever watch that show Locked Up? Uh, What's it called? Lock Up? Yeah. On MSNBC, right? I love that show, man. It like, I mean, I, I say that. I'm like terrified and I feel so, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, this is horrible. But um, there's always episodes where they show inmates will, will in protest, flood their toilet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it'll cause it to rain from up above and it'll go down and whatever. I have to wonder – again, I have to wonder if he was, you know, again, in the throes of a very emotional time thinking like I wonder what the hell happened with the water or whatever. And again, I mean coincidence is kind of a lame excuse for this sort of thing. I wonder if he made it rain by filling up his – you know, clogging the toilets, doing something else, whatever. You know, because I don't, I don't know. And if that case with the prisoner or in the prison, from the way that it had been described, it didn't sound like they actually saw him with rain, like it raining. It sounded like they came in and it was already wet. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's much more explainable. And that's that's the thing with this case that's really frustrating, from my end at least, is there there really isn't a lot of evidence. You know what I mean? You mentioned that case where they actually collected a sample, took it back to the lab, and it it was something they couldn't explain it. It was blood, right? It was yeah, it was there, blood, but they couldn't they couldn't find where it matched anybody. And you explain and you talked about ectoplasm, right? Now, I mean, the most famous case of ectoplasm are uh, what are their names? The, the sisters that used to bang on the chair, right? Right. But there have been case, cases of things like ectoplasm or even. Um, there's a phenomenon known as star jelly, which is this, uh, someone will see like a shooting star or a meteorite or something. And then there's kind of a green odd goo on the ground. And when they collect it the next morning, it's gone. It seems to have evaporated. 
right? Mm-hmm. There are, and I would argue that there are a lot of poltergeist cases where there's a lot more evidence than this one, right? I mean, this guy's in jail claiming he can make it rain. If he was able to do that, he's in a single spot. Why didn't someone bring in a video camera or a news crew? You know what I mean? Why didn't someone think to take, you know, there are cops there. Why didn't the cops take a sample of the fluid from the wall to be like, what the hell is this stuff? You know, there's just a lot of parts of this that are, there's a lot of parts of this that, again, like, I don't have a lot of scientific answers for this case, unfortunately, but there are a lot of things about this case that make me wonder, you know, why didn't anyone follow this up? Why weren't they more concerned about this in such a way that they, you know, they brought in a priest. Why didn't they bring in someone with a camera or something, right? Um, did I wonder, did they get the house checked after the fact? I don't, right? I, I don't know, but you just brought up the point. They brought in the priest. Now, the priest had some pretty damning things to say about he was pure evil and, and the things that happened in there. I would think maybe a priest would have been one of the more credible sources. And, uh, I, and I, you know what? And that's the thing, too. I would feel that way as well. But, again, I can't find any corroboration on the priest saying that stuff. You know what I mean? I can't I, – I personally – and again, priests are just – are human like everyone else. You know what I mean? So I wouldn't be – you know, Astonishing – so Astonishing Legends, another great uh, show on Dark Myths, um, just did a whole case on the Annalise Michelle case, mm-hmm. right? And I think um, a, bunch of, a bunch of shows have done this one, right? Did you guys do this? Yeah, about a month ago. You guys did it too. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, in that case, it was a priest and a family so convinced of demonic possession that they ended up actually, you know, not spoilers, everyone, spoiler alert. Um, they accidentally murdered their, their daughter, you know, people will do, people will do irrational things at times in the throes of religious fervor. You know what I mean? So again, it's. In cases like this, and I think this is true, like, again, I'm not a detective, but I know at least from when you do when you do research with human subjects, right? If you ever do, like, a, a sample or a survey or anything like that, one of the most important things is not to give any indications to them about what you want them to say, right? Because people will tend to say what you want them to. Yeah, right. You know, and people will also respond by by you know, slight version you know, slight pressures or they'll be a little bit uncomfortable or whatever. There's, it takes a lot to get a really good witness statement, you know? And, and then on top of that, even if you are a perfect, you know, perfect investigator, you haven't, you have not changed the witness's story at all. They're still going to change it based on their own emotional feelings about the thing. You know what I mean? Um, I, I actually, it's funny. I had my own, <laughs> I had my own experience with this. So you guys, you were talking about the, not to get too off topic here. You were talking about, you guys are going to do the Mothman story, right? Mm-hmm. One of the most fascinating things for the Mothman story for me is actually not what was going on in Point Pleasant, but how it connects to other cases at the time of people claiming to meet with aliens, right? So you have the Mothman story, but then you also have the story of Woody Derenberger, who is the person who claimed to have met with Indrid Cold, the, the, the alien man, right? Yep. Um, at the same time, all across the country, there were people meeting with supposed aliens, and at times those aliens would have the same name, 
from completely different witnesses who had never met, never talked to each other, right? So one of those names that comes up a lot is, is Apple, A-P-O-L, right? That is the most fascinating part to this story for me. So when I was living in New Hampshire, you know, about a year ago, let's say, I found out that one of those cases actually occurred in the town that I lived in, right? One of these kind of like Indra Cold style cases. And so I started asking around people, you know, have you ever seen a UFO? Have you ever seen anything weird? You know, any weird stories, poltergeist activity, whatever, you know, because, uh, you know, and we're going to actually do a full episode on this case uh, on our show. Oh, cool. In a little bit. But uh, anyways, I ended up talking to a couple of people who said that they had, you know, seen a UFO. And the first interview I did, I, after the fact, realized oh my God, I had led this person to say exactly what I wanted her to, <laughs> right? Like I was like, you know, she told me the story and, and originally it was pretty bare. You know, it was like, well, I saw a light. I don't really know what it was. It was in a field. And then at the end of it, through my questioning her, you know, I was like, well, did it have any colors? Did it, did it look blue? And she was like, yeah, yeah, it looked blue. You know, and I was like, did it have a smell? And she was like, oh yeah, it smelled like chemicals. You know, and I was like... And so after the fact, I was like, man, this is exactly what I would think a UFO case should be like. And then I was like, crap, I, because I made it up, you know? <laughs> uh, so, uh, so again, like in cases like this, I'm, I'm always super, super uh, skeptical when it's only a couple of witnesses or, or it's people who have made a statement once and then never talked about it again. Or even cases where things don't seem to gel, you know, it, it just doesn't pass the smell test for me. This one, um, yeah, that so that's that's my take on it personally. I think I think something fishy was going on. I don't know what it was, but the fact that there was no real evidence taken um, besides just witness statements to me, and especially this event seemed to go on for some time, you know, um, to me that seems fishy. And even I will say this too. In the process of – I think they had said – I can't remember if I had read this or I heard it in Justin's podcast um, – that they had actually requested a formal exorcism, right? That they had, they had brought it to a priest uh, and said, I, we need an exorcism. We need an exorcism. Right, a but couple, you can't get a, one that quick. Right. A couple of priests turned it down until they finally got one to come by, right? The reason that the, the process of getting an exorcism is so drawn out is because of the Annalise Michelle case. And similar cases that have occurred where people are – they end up you know, malnourished or they almost die or they do die. Um, and so the, the church is really careful about, the, about those cases. Interestingly enough though, the Roman Catholic Church has actually seen an uptick in exorcisms occurring um, in, in recent years on there. And I actually read a story about a, a professional priest uh, slash demonologist who's been going around performing exorcisms um, throughout the United States in the past 10 years, um, which is amazing. But anyways, I – part of that process of requesting a formal exorcism is gathering evidence, right? Mm -hmm. And the fact that, again, that didn't happen even after they requested the exorcism or they found a priest willing to do one, you know, that's, that's fishy to me, I would say. So but, let, me, let me make sure I'm clear on what you're saying. You're saying – to you, this case doesn't hold water. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Chris it doesn't is, hold water. It doesn't rain water. None of it. 
Chris, it's been fun having you on the show, man. There were so many different topics I wanted to give you, but with Justin coming on and talking to us, I thought it would be a good uh, uh, collaboration between the, the two groups. Um, cause I, I thought about the whole toxic lady situation out in California to try to see yeah, what your case but, oh. was on that. And, uh, there's a bunch of them we could have done, but man, I appreciate you coming on. Why don't you tell everybody real quick how they can catch up with the show? Yeah, absolutely. So my show is called the mad scientist podcast. You can find us at the mad scientist podcast.com. You can find us on audio boom. You can also find us in a list of other great shows at darkmyths.org. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter, on Facebook. Just search for the Mad Scientist Podcast. My show is the one with the Jack O' Lantern logo. Yeah, it is a pretty cool logo. It's uh, pretty bright colors. That always catches Thank my you. attention. Yeah, I try. You know, I try. I try. <laughs> I, I will. I will. I did want to say one last thing quick. If we have time. Sure. Okay. Now, as for actually making it, if if we wanted to do this, let's say you know our two shows got together or whatever, and we decided we were going to make it rain in a room. We actually could do it using the technology that we have today. So there is actually an artist, a Chinese artist who does this, and the Chinese government supposedly does this to try to make it rain when they need it to rain. What you can do is inside of a room, you can actually seed a cloud. And what that is is in the mixture of the air, you basically suspend um, very fine solid particles, and then you cause it to become humid in the room. So you just have like a humidifier or something. The particles in the air will be places for the water from the humidifier to hit. It'll condense so the vapor from the water will actually condense to liquid. And eventually you will end up with a cloud. And if you keep getting it humid enough, it will eventually actually rain. And you can make these little storm clouds inside of a closed room. It's really, really, really amazing. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe, maybe Donnie was like, 30 years ahead of his time. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. <laughs> I don't know. Chris, brother, I appreciate it, man. I, I, like I said, I can't wait to uh, do some stuff with you in the future. We'll find something else to do. Absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Thanks a lot. So you see what I'm saying? He lost me like seven different times. He lost me a lot. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure y'all find that hard to believe. Have, have, you, have you ever heard anybody so excited about science? Yes, he was very excited. <laughs> That's the thing about his show. His show, it's it's like that the whole time. It's lots of enthusiasm. Oh, He's, yeah, that's good. That's good that you love what you do. He does have some cool stuff on there, though. It's it's worth checking out. So, Mad Scientist Podcast, uh, Chris Cogswell. Appreciate it, Chris. Thanks for coming on. Next week, I guess we'll go ahead and do it, Mothman Prophecies. All right. We, uh, as, as you heard in Chris's interview, uh, we talked about it. We are going to try to put a different spin on it, so... We're going to try um, to get Richard Gear here. Yeah, we're going to get Richard Gear here. Uh, <laughs> probably not going to happen. Um, One can only dream. My guess, but we may have a gerbil that knows him really well. You stop that with a gerbil. <laughs> he did not have no gerbil up in his butt. <laughs> you don't know that. I did not. That's what we could do a whole show on Richard Gear and a gerbil in his butt. <laughs> no gerbil. We'll talk about the you. dark tower. Ooh. Or the tunnel, the dark tunnel. That made hello, no... hello, hello. Yeah, I wonder if that gerbil had a time warp. <laughs> Anyways. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, you wanted a long show. This one's right at about two and a half hours long. Get so, out of here. Was it two and a half hours? Two and a half hours. So that's what uh, that's what we're going to get most of this month. I don't think they're all going to be two and a half hours, yeah. but we wanted to start it off with a bang. Thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Love you guys. It's cold outside, on my knees I break, how could you leave me?
I love Fading to black again How could you 